All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne, and I am finally, finally back from the bush and sitting here with Dalton Gray. Hello. And Mariah Humphreys. I'm here. You are here. And man, is it good to be back home. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I tell you what, I've been gone for a minute. I think it was three weeks. Oh boy. Three weeks I was out traveling around. So um, just wanted to say big thanks to you guys. You guys did a phenomenal job. I liked both those uh, both those episodes you guys did. I'm, Thank you. Uh, I got a couple thoughts I'm going to present here in a little bit. But uh, before we get too far past the intro, uh, this episode, I think you guys teased it on one of the last ones. But it's about affordable entry-level gear Yes, to get you into hunting. This is something we preach a lot on the show. This mm-hmm. is something that we talk about all the time which is just getting out there and getting after it. It's the whole outro to the show, right? Yep. Um, and what that is based around is that experience in the field is more important than looking cool. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to dive into that uh, here in a little bit. Um, but until then, if you like what we're doing and you have more listener questions um, that you would like us to answer for you, make sure that you are contacting us through our email info at the northern hunter.com we also have a contact button on our website or you can hit us up on our socials um if you search at the northern hunter on facebook or instagram we'll get back to you as soon as we can now that i'm back from uh, the sticks i will be a little bit more on top of that um and if you'd like to support us and help us to continue bringing great content uh go to our website and you can go to the partners page that mm-hmm. Mo has set up for us there. We have a list of all of our partners there. Um, if you are on your app right now, wherever you're listening to us, you can go into the show notes. We have links to all of their websites there as well. And Don, why don't you tell them a little bit about those people? While you're on your hunt, you want to protect your rifle with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover offered from Stealthy Hunter gear and equipment. Right. And they also have a glassing pad and several other great products mm-hmm. there. You can also shop Yukon River Knives. Um, we use all their knives here, yep. and uh, we also have a discount code through Beta907. Now, for Yukon River Knives and for Stealthy Hunter, the discount code is the Northern Hunter in the promo code box at checkout. For Beta907, it is TNHP for the discount at checkout. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are also partnered with Weatherby Rifles, makers of the finest American-made rifles with the Mark V. 
and uh, now their new 307 action and rifle setup as Beautiful well. Beautiful rifle. Yes, very exciting for that. Uh, release this spring. And also we have a new announcement about our other sponsor, Hammer Bullets. Mm -hmm. We are now offering our listeners a discount code through Hammer Bullets, makers of the finest monometal bullets <laughs> on the market that we have used thus far. Uh, they uh, they work quite well on bears, which is all we've shot them with so far. Uh, a couple of black bears mm -hmm. and a coastal brown bear while I was guiding with it. And uh, so if you are shopping for hammer bullets, be sure to use your discount code, the Northern Hunter, same as the other ones, no mm -hmm. caps, no space in the checkout box, uh, in, in the promo code box at checkout. And that'll give you a discount and also help support the show now through hammer bullets. That's awesome. You know, I, I've been uh, having several conversations with Steve over there and yes. uh, I'm super excited to be working with them. I'm super yeah. excited that they've, they've seen value in what we're doing yeah. and as much as we see value in what they're doing. And yeah. We're partnering up. I think it's a great partnership. I'm super excited for it. Yeah. They're um, awesome, great down-to-earth guys just like us. Just mm -hmm. saw, a, saw a gap in the market and wanted to fill it with what uh, they thought was a good product. And I think they've done a stellar job. And they have a lot of new and exciting things coming out yet mm -hmm. to be released. Right. Um, I know this spring they released their new HHT tipped bullet lineup. That's, uh, that's the beginning of a great... Um, avenue that they're going to be going down here in, in the in the near future. Mm -hmm. So yeah, be sure to shop all your bullet needs from Hammer Bullets. And, and you know, the best part about it is they're in stock. <laughs> they if you go to most of the other bullet suppliers <laughs> online, everything is out of stock or backordered or mm -hmm. no longer carried. Mm -hmm. And uh, you go to Hammer Bullets website and uh, you will be hard pressed to find a bullet option that you cannot find available and in stock ready to ship on their website. As right. many as you need. Yeah. yeah. And they're always uh, innovating too. They just came out with those new, uh, the HHTs. Yes. Um, I know they're, right. they're always working on, on meeting new demands yeah. for the market. Yeah. It's, it's a really some, great thing. They've got some cool new stuff in the works. Yeah. We should add a little segment to that at the end of your little spiel that says it's the, not only is it the, the best mono metals, but it's the only mono metals James will use because <laughs> the, the only, the only ones that are JP approved. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so guys, if you want to support us, uh, definitely go, go shop with those. Um, and use those discount codes. That really helps these companies. Uh, a lot of these companies, some are large like Weatherby, but others are, mm -hmm. you know, still developing as well. Yes. Um, I know Hammer is still, you know, very much a, I guess you could call a, uh, a small scale mm -hmm. uh, bullet provider. They have a ton right. of options and they have still a ton of growing, stuff, but they're yeah. still growing. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, I yes. might add. And so the more you guys can support them, uh, Batum 907, you know, small business here in yes. Alaska, yeah. um, Yukon River Knives, yeah. small business. Absolutely. Um, the more you support them, and then that also helps us as a small business. And we can really, really go places with this thing. So yep. we would appreciate that very much. Mm -hmm. um, man, I've been gone for so long, How? How the heck are you guys? <laughs> oh, you know, just busy. June is over, and uh, yeah, Mo and I, and my wife, and and myself, and Mo and his wife and his kids, mm -hmm. and then uh, Mo's other sister, uh, my wife's sister-in-law. We all went on a Fourth of July camping trip out in the mountains, and mm -hmm. uh, did a little bit of fishing, and caught some small lake fish. Right. And nice. Yeah, we had any eaters or? Uh, yeah, but we ate a couple of them. You know, nice. just just little guys. That's um, good fun. Yeah, it was a good time, you know, brought the canoes and the four-wheelers mm -hmm. out and mm -hmm. spent some time at the uh, at the lodges out there um, that, uh, you know, some friends of ours run that one. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was a good time. It wasn't real warm yeah. like it has been in years past. It was pretty much overcast, I'd say, what, 85% of the time. 
it was yeah it we was, only had a few hours each day that was nice and sunny oh, yeah you know we, overall statewide it's been a pretty chilly summer yeah yeah uh-huh. it has yeah been. and i've been statewide so I yeah know. it started with a late breakup and <laughs> yeah 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 just as carried over into kind of that gloomy gray drizzly weather yeah. I mean, it, honestly it, it's felt like august all spring mm-hmm. it just is cool and damp and i thought that when i was running bears yeah bear baits coming back and i've got fog on top of the ponds and streams Mm -hmm. which just blew my mind yeah yeah makes me really wonder how cold moose season is going to be i'm looking forward (laughs) to being an early rut and amazing hunting too yeah hopefully i'm kind of looking forward to that if it stays chilly that'd be a good moose season yeah so well for anybody that's been wondering where i've been um i've been i I work a job that i'm not going to give away exactly who i work for but a, a general gist is i go to remote parts of Alaska, um, rural areas of Alaska. Um, and I, I do communication support Mm -hmm. for those. I'm a, I'm a comms guy. So you're tech uh, support, not tech support. (laughs) (laughs) Tech support. I mean, technically, but I mean, uh, no. So we had a a pretty big emergency happen. Um, and, uh, I had to be running around all over the place, Mm -hmm. uh, helping out with that kind of no real plan, just kind of reactive right. um, mm-hmm. and so getting everybody online a lot of what we deal with has to do with uh emergency services too um it's kind of one big reason i like my job is that it, it I'm, the work i do allows people to reach services they need when yeah. they live out there right um and so if they need to you know let's say one of the elders has a has a medical emergency and they need to call a uh a, what is it the med life plane mm-hmm. um yeah. you know they can get a hold of people they can call 911 right. they can yeah. um you know it's not just things like that. So, um, it's really rewarding work. It feels, feels good when things do work. And, uh, you know, you kind of see the repercussions when things don't work. However, um, you know, it it is, uh, it is time consuming. Uh, one thing about the job is when you work a long day and you get off work, you're not always at your house. Right. (laughs) So I I was just going to say off of that, when, when you say elders, um, just to clarify for folks that don't know how Hmm. Alaska works, these are remote, villages that are very remote hundreds of miles away from the nearest town they're off the road system yes only way to get there is by plane or some of them by boat some of them some of them not even by boat Mm -hmm. you got to fly in right yeah they're hours away from the nearest town especially up north when you get farther up north a lot of them aren't on rivers they're on lakes right um and so uh we do have you know there are there are villages like all along the yukon that you can get to and and some of these bigger yeah bigger areas but uh yeah i mean and that's not a very time right effective way to get there if you if you have an emergency or anything like that um but yes i I work in in very very remote places where there's no no other means of communication really there's no uh no no way in or out yeah and uh you can't always get home at the end of the day no it's it's not like they got a hospital there either for for instant medical care you know some of them them, they have a first aid station that's about it yeah a lot of them all they have is like a little clinic and it's not even Mm -hmm. always manned right you know so um but you know and, and they can use this service for more uh just kind of life improvement things if they mm-hmm. want to call you know somebody else um, right. around but uh i mean they got to be able to watch tv too so yeah well we don't do that <laughs> no but <laughs> i don't. mean it is the internet so but we're not internet you're not doing anything with the no internet? really no it's uh it's a uh, just comms just oh. comms for uh basically I mean, just phone calls comms covers so, everything these days so uh well in, in some in some instances okay, it okay. does yeah but in, in with mine with the company i work for with what you do specifically just, is just yeah um, at least in my department, I think there is a department that does some kind of data, but, oh, it has to um, be, yeah. but yeah, so, so I've been bouncing around doing that and, uh, spending a lot of nights away from home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the hardest part for me <laughs> was that 
it was right at the hot time of bear season. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I'd mentioned it in maybe the first episode you and I did together. Mo while Dalton was away. Uh, I, I kind of nicknamed this season, the season of heartbreak. <laughs> And uh, it held true. Huh? <laughs> it held true, man. It, yeah, it did for not, both of us. Yeah, it did not let up. And uh, unfortunately, that did um, extend into other areas of life as well. Um, no, me and, me and my wife are still very much together and happy. And <laughs> um, actually, uh, not from the time of this recording, but or not from the time of the, when people are going to be listening to this, but from the time of this recording, uh, tomorrow's our one year anniversary. Oh, so yeah, she hasn't killed me yet. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe I'll make it to two. I'm pushing for two years now. Yeah. Um, but no, she's, yeah, everything's good at home. But, uh, you know, there's, uh, with bear season kind of getting a little goofy, um, mm-hmm. just a, a little bit of a recap on that. Um, so initially in bear season, I, I set up a, a really neat, nice bait mm-hmm. um, area I'd scouted before. And uh, I just knew there were bears in there. Like yeah. I'd seen bears in there. I've seen three separate black bears in that area. Yeah. Um, Went in there, set up, and I was hit within four days. Yeah. Within four days, I had bears on there. Within six days, the grizzlies moved in. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, part of it is my fault. I think I used a little bit more grizzly-style bait than I normally do. Typically, I stick a little bit more to, like, the molasses and the uh, things like that. I went a lot more heavy into the grease and meat and, and stuff like that this time. Mm. Um, more of the universal bear rather yeah. than specifically targeting black bears. Okay. Um, where that bit me, though, was uh, the June closure for for grizzlies mm-hmm. yeah. in, in the unit, you know, both immediately and very far extending outside of Fairbanks. Yeah. Um, so... It ended up being where I, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, we had five different grizzlies working that bait. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get to set out baits until late in May. And uh, right. so by the time I actually saw one in person, it was actually June 1st. Oh, wow. <laughs> which broke my heart. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, at least you have bears um, on your bait. Yeah. No, I walked in and the thing's still there. And, and like, you know, yeah, it was a it was an interesting encounter. Um, yeah. For a second, I almost almost had brain fog and forgot it was June, but I'm glad I remembered. I'm, I'm glad I, I, I'm able to stay, you know, keep, keep those things in mind when you're in the moment. But, uh, right. uh, so we ended up, uh, drying that one out a little bit, letting it go, you know, kind of hitting the reset button like right. we talked about in the, in our show and, right. um, went back in later in June and it was, uh, still getting hit, uh, by the Grizzlies. They right. were still coming in, tearing up the dirt, tearing up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you and grizzlies do best. Yep, exactly. And so we made the decision to, uh, just shut that one down, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the bigger contributing factor to that was actually that somebody followed, followed my tracks in there mm. and, uh, set up too close for my comfort. Um, for most people, they were probably far enough away, but knowing what I know and how picky I am, yeah. um, they were right. just too, too close to being on top of me. So yeah. between that and the grizzlies, I just kind of threw my hands up and was like, all right, well this one. You know, that's what happens. Right. You explore new places, um, and sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. So <laughs> we go out, and we, I, I, I do a ton of scouting. I do a ton of, you know, looking at my, my backup spots and mm-hmm. places I've looked at before and find just this gorgeous area. Tons of, you know, bear sign everywhere. Just looks like a super berry area. I'm right on, you know, like we talked about, right on the edge of two ecosystems kind of set up. And, um super super brushy on one side birch trees on the other it just it was perfect 
then this work emergency happened. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I basically, I was able to go out there and set up mm-hmm. and then go out there and tear down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that was boy. about it. I never actually got to hunt it. So, yeah. um, but you know, that's the, uh, that's the nature of the game. Um, you know, the job yeah. keeps the rent paid mm-hmm. both at home and here and yeah. it, you know, makes things, you know, keep moving. So, yeah. um, you got to kind of just do what you got to do sometimes. And Duty honestly, calls. it's, it's something that I'm sure several people deal with oh, yeah. throughout the years. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, the thing with, with me is, you know, there was obviously a little bit of added stress to it. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanting to, to get out there and, and right. kind of show kind of like what Mo had said, kind of show what's capable. Um, and, uh, I will be, uh, showing off basically what you can do with a, a one year, a first year bait. Um, even in the last couple of weeks of season, mm-hmm. um, coming up, uh, Mo and I and everybody, I'm sure we'll, we'll do some, some more posting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even on top of that, um, you know, the season of heartbreak, like I said, it kind of, uh, moved on towards other aspects of life as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's been some, uh, some health issues I've been dealing with. Uh, I'm not dying any more than I normally am day by day, you know, one step closer every day, right. but, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, wear and tear. I'll just yeah. put it that way. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting into those, those middle thirties and I hadn't really taken good care of myself in my twenties and, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of having to do some, some, uh, backpedaling as far as that goes. But so there's been some things I've tried to do, uh, that I've noticed have some limitations, mm-hmm. uh, some new limitations for me on uh, having to go back. And on top of that, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is this is leading somewhere good, I promise. Um, you know, my wife and I have been searching for um, a home for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got linked up with some really great folks. Um, I just want to put that out there. There's some really great folks here in Fairbanks that are um, part of the hunting community. Um, I rolled up to a, to a home showing and, and, uh, the guy has a, a, I think it was a stone glacier sticker on the back of his truck. I was like, yep, I already like this guy. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but we, uh, you know, we, we've been in in, kind of in that process for a little bit and there were some hits as far as that goes that it didn't end up going through. Um, not due to, to these two guys, like I said, they're great guys and I'm very excited to work with them going forward. But, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of just was like hit after hit after hit after yeah. hit this spring yeah and a, a big thing that i felt compelled to tell people about that is um it's very easy to get discouraged yeah it's very easy to get down not only on yourself but just on on life itself as mm-hmm. you're kind of going through life mm-hmm. um, when it seems like you're kind of taking taking hit after hit after hit and maybe things aren't going exactly as planned um, you think you have a plan, you kind of hope it works into God's plan for you mm-hmm. and it just becomes blatantly obvious at some point that it doesn't, um, don't lose hope, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, don't lose, don't get frustrated. Um, it's okay to feel emotion. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be frustrated that your plan didn't go through. It's okay to, um, kind of go through that, that, uh, I guess you'd call it a mournful stage where, you know, you're, you had a goal, you had a plan and it turns out that it didn't, didn't go through, but the, the thing I really want to re- really want to tell folks about that if, if you're experiencing something similar where you know your your plans just don't seem to be working out no matter what you do um, one it can always get better mm-hmm. you wake up the next day you fight harder you push harder and you just you make it happen yeah. regardless of what's going on yeah. um, the other thing there is uh, 
don't let that damage your faith either. Yeah. You know, the, the, one of the biggest things that people, uh, when you, when you talk to them and they, they say how they, you know, Oh, I, I used to believe I used to do this and, right. and you know, ah, I, I just don't dabble with that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it has to do with, you know, a plan that they had that didn't go through or something yeah. like that, where they, they can't understand why it wasn't part of the plan for them. Right. They can't understand why that right. didn't come through. Right. And, you know, I mean, they, they talk about it. If you, if you listen to, to any, um, I guess I should say any reputable preacher, um, you know, they'll, they'll explain it kind of like this, where it's, it's us going after our things here is the equivalent of, um, you know, a parent sometimes telling a, ch- a child no when they want popsicles for dinner. Right. And they don't understand why they can't have popsicles for dinner because yeah. popsicles are delicious. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, but sometimes there's a reason you can't have popsicles for dinner and it's because there's like a pot roast waiting for you. Um, right. you know, and so, uh, I just wanted to give people that kind of, you know, don't lose hope, don't lose faith. Yeah. Keep fighting, just go through it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, you got to have an attitude of gratitude mm-hmm. is basically the, the, the ordeal mm-hmm. there. You got to look at what you do have yeah. and not what you don't have. And that goes for anybody. Yeah. Um, Absolutely right. in, in any situation. So if you don't, if you're not successful on a hunt, guess what? You still had a great hunt. Yeah. You know, you still, maybe you got to see some stuff you never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't get to uh, buy the truck, well, there's going to be another truck sometime. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. you just got to, got to keep going. If your so, four wheeler breaks down in the middle of it and it ruins the whole hunt. <laughs> It's a hard attitude to have, right? <laughs> but, but yeah. So that's my uh, that's my little my little area there. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, um, I completely agree with what you're saying, and and, and you'll have a lot better uh, experience while you're out there. If yeah, if in the middle of everything, mm-hmm. well, you know, just because we are a hunting podcast, let's say you're in the middle of a hunt and right. something happens, and you just either you're not going to be able to take an animal because of it, you know, uh, or uh, you know, or you're just you know, it just ruins everything you thought you had going, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, great, truck broke down. Um, so now that's going to cost me all the money I was going to spend on mm-hmm. such and such, right? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Been and uh, <laughs> it's really hard to have a good time mm-hmm. or, or convince yourself that everything's going to work out. Yeah. But if all you focus on is how bad everything is, yeah. it's just going to get worse. Yep. 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 I exactly. will say uh, I was out, uh, I had the whole thing with having to jumpstart the wheeler with the battery, mm-hmm. the yeah. battery. I heard actually, that story. I actually had to do it one more time, and then I figured <laughs> out what was wrong. Um, but uh, I'll maybe talk about that later. But the guy with me who was running camera, he, he mm-hmm. mentioned, he goes, I go, man, he goes, man, like, I guess, I guess when we'll shoot a bear if we, I was like, dude, this, that would not change it. We're here to hunt. I don't care what's <laughs> right. wrong with, it. like, we'd kill the bear and then figure out how to get it out of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Well, God never gives us anything that we can't handle. That's right. right. And it, right. people, people um, falter when they encounter a tough situation in life and they say, well, that they, they, they blame God. And mm-hmm. why, why would God let xyz happen and you Mm -hmm. hear that over and over and over again and um it's 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 easy to just take what was the main thing in your life before and just blame that Mm -hmm. on that main thing and you know for a lot of faith-based folks like we are um that's the first thing that takes all the flack and god gets the blame and uh people don't look for the blessings in their life Mm -hmm. and that uh that's difficult to to do. It's easy to say. It's it's another thing to have to actually live that way in your life. But you're yeah. exactly right. You know, you just get back up on your feet and you uh, 
you know, pray yep. for grace and you just keep on working hard. Exactly. And, uh, God will let what he wants to have happen, happen in his time. Exactly. So, yeah. And that doesn't mean don't, you know, like I said, it doesn't mean don't feel the right the em- right. emotions, but don't let right. those emotions rule right. you. Right. You know, process it, get through it, get yep. to the other side of it. Let the emotions drive and motivate you to uh, succeed next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you happen to run a podcast and be a, you know, a guy that's out of town for two weeks and you got <laughs> two guys here that can do two really great episodes. I just want to say, I really enjoyed both of those things. Yeah. Um, actually I finished the last one today. Yeah. Um, so very well done guys. Um, I'll just, yeah. Thank um, you. Well, good. I, uh, I feel like you guys really, uh, touched on a lot of good things. I liked all the answers to the, uh, to the questions. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, I don't really think I have anything to add as far as answers go because you guys yeah. really touched on, just about every aspect of those. And so I appreciate that. I'm sure all the listeners do too. All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in Southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. I did have a couple of comments I wanted to say, um, kind of in addition to what you guys were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody had asked about... um, our video uh yeah expansion mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I really like you know everything you guys had to say there um we do like you had said we have uh one film that's going to be coming out um i'm actually also working on a uh, a series that will hopefully be coming out this winter um mm-hmm. that everybody can keep an eye out for it's a very uh um it's a familiar face i'll just say that <laughs> um and we're going to be uh bringing some bringing some people in um, but to that, to that point, it's going to help us out a lot, um, to work with people in the industry. And, uh, you know, we, we have tossed around the idea of doing kind of a more of a self film thing. Um, I just wanted to throw this out there. Basically. Um, the only thing I wanted to add is that if you are kind of in the, the film business, mm-hmm. you know, if you're kind of in that, that, uh, that business of, of putting things out there visually, more mm-hmm. visually, whether it's video, videography or kind of outdoor photography or anything like that. Um, we, we may be looking for, uh, some people to kind of help us out with a couple of these projects coming up. Um, more hands is always better when you're trying to do that stuff. Cause it's hard for people at a, uh, an entry level of, of film to yes. try and produce a very good film mm-hmm. while also focusing on the, the actual, doing of the the film you know what's right. being filmed the right hunt. um and the hunt itself and so yeah um i was just gonna say if you have a uh 
a background in videography or photography outdoors, things like that. And you kind of want to help us with that expansion. Um, definitely, uh, reach out to me, uh, send me a message. Um, that's just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, your background, your history, what you have experience in, um, the kind of, you know, things you're into. And, uh, you can reach me at, uh, admin at the Northern Hunter, uh, com. Um, that'll get directly to me and, uh, we can, start talking and see about maybe working together at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how soon it would be, but if you are in the Fairbanks area or able to be in the Fairbanks area on a regular basis, we'd, we'd uh, love to entertain the idea of, of working with some folks. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of insert is, uh, man, that last episode you did was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that last episode you guys did. Um, and it was different. Yeah. It was very different. I yeah. liked it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the the thing with those, that misinformation that gets tossed around all over the place is a lot yeah. of the people that are, you know, talking about that stuff. Yeah. Don't actually look much deeper than a couple of articles that might agree with what they're writing their article about. Mm-hmm. And so... I think you guys did a wonderful job of kind of fact checking that and going through it piece by piece and, and really presenting a lot of that. Um, but I wanted to go into one thing. If they use the term intensive management a lot, um, and intensive management, the thing that bugged me about it is they said it was controversial. Mm. They said it's a controversial management <laughs> system. And I just want to go out on the record and say that intensive management is not controversial. Um, and it's not a new concept either. People have been doing this for a long time. Um, basically, um, oh, and it's not the first time they've targeted bears either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not the first time that's been the problem. Um, this exact same management strategy was used on the muskox herd up in unit 26 up on near the North slope. Um, they were, they've been having issues with the the muskox and up there for a long time Mm -hmm. and they implemented a intensive management system onto that herd targeting specifically uh grizzly bears yeah i think i talked about this on the show mm-hmm. at one point a long I, I time think, ago i think you did yeah um and what they what they had done is they had uh they had gone up there with the intent of doing just that predator management and uh it worked so well that for the first time in almost two decades they had a harvestable surplus this year they could give out tags yeah. uh, they gave a couple of registration tags out and a couple of tier one subsistence tags out yeah um so what happens um is that what in intensive management is is uh they're basically going out there and they are they're with the herd mm-hmm. whatever herd they're managing they are camping nearby they're using aerial means to observe the herd they are there with the herd um you guys um uh, you guys have talked a little bit about, you know, or like, I guess a lot of bit about like predator management um, and the, the things that this guy said about whether it works or whether it doesn't. Um, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, uh, there was a study done. Now, this was on a different uh, caribou herd. Um, but there was a study done that there were brown bears or grizzly bears targeting the Nilchina caribou herd which is another caribou herd uh closer to the the middle of of alaska it's in unit 13 yeah dances around a couple other places but its primary home is in in unit 13 yeah and 
uh, that hunt actually, unfortunately, got closed this year. They had yes. a, a tier one subsistence hunt for that that was completely closed out this year. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were relying on that, and they're not going to be able to to hunt that due to the declining population. Mm-hmm. But they did a study there that the grizzlies in the area um, would kill 34 calves per bear season. Mm. And, or not per, per bear season, per calving mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Per bear. Yeah. Per bear. Per bear, per calving season. And the calving season is about 45 days long. Yeah. So just kind of let that sink in for a second. Yeah. You got each bear taking 34 calves. Mm-hmm. Now, I did the liberty, or I took the liberty of doing the math on that. And you had claimed, or the study had shown that for this herd, the, the, they, uh, took 94 grizz is that correct is that yes. what you were saying mm-hmm. yep so if they take 94 grizz as an average of 34 calves per grizz mm-hmm. they just saved 3196 calves yeah exactly that's insane yep um so <laughs> i mean the just from a, a purely like I don't know, like observation standpoint and mathematical standpoint, the idea that predator management doesn't work for some scale of, of population regain, it doesn't mean it's the entire way to bring back a population, right? but to say it doesn't work at all, you're you're just not looking at the numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, these, these intensive management systems are not something that gets implemented, uh, lightly. You know, they have to be looking at it for a long time. They have to see a steady decline. They have to not have an immediate idea on why it's happening. Right. And it takes a lot of manpower and a lot of hours to get out there and study the herd as hard as it does to determine that they're going to be going out there and doing this, this management system. Yes. And so to claim then that they're out there killing indiscriminately is, is also misinformed because it is anything but indiscriminate. There's sitting there watching the herd, managing yeah. the herd like shepherds to a flock mm-hmm. and only killing the animals that have come in. You know, that was the thing that they had with the muskox was that these these grizzly bears had been had basically learned and then trained their young mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. follow this, this herd of oxen around. And they were getting the calves, they were getting the adults, the, yeah. um, they were getting pregnant mothers, things of this nature. Yeah. And, uh, and so... It's just, I don't know. It's it just, I, I really like the way you guys did it. And, uh, you know, before I get too far off that topic, um, it goes the other way too. Mm-hmm. You know, you had done a good job of mentioning that caribou herds are uh, cyclical in nature. Yes. And they will boom up to way too high of a number. Right. And then they will drop down to around about what's sustainable. Complete crash. Just and then about, yeah. they'll boom back again. Yeah. Um, the reason that happens, if, if nobody thinks about what happens when you, I mean, increase the number of animals by, I mean, sometimes tenfold, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, 20-fold, like in this case, yeah. you know, caribou aren't feeding on just any grasses and any uh, any vegetation you see out there in the, in the mountains. They're right. very specific in their diet, and they yeah. will literally starve themselves out of a home. Absolutely. Um, they, you, you'll end up with a lot more winter die off, a lot more malnourishment. Yes. And, uh, so it has gone the other direction where when the, when the herd's getting too big, they will actually call for a, a culling 
of yep. caribou in the herd. We mm-hmm. saw that with the 40 mile herd a couple of years ago. Yeah. They upped it to two, not that two long caribou. Ago. Yeah. yeah. I think that was just two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's not always that they just jump to kill all the predators, you know, right. it's like, right. They're looking specifically at the cause mm-hmm. and then making a decision and then implementing that plan. Yeah. So really I just, I, I hope that people just have a little bit more faith in mm-hmm. the, the biologists and in the, yeah. in, in the groups that this is their entire life right. is to figure these things out. Right. Um, don't, and, and I'm, yeah, I'll just end this with how you guys titled the, the, the podcast, which was don't believe everything you read on the internet. I, I'm going to make a comment on it all real quick here yeah. too. Um, I found another, this is an announcement actually released, uh, today. Um, from ADF and G on the predator control mm-hmm. and on them we'll chat in a herd. And the, specifically the, the bears and the wolves were harvested, uh, while the staff, fishing game staff, biologists and such were following the caribou herd and looking at for searching for evidence of predation. Yeah. Yeah. They, they killed those animals in a 17 day period mm-hmm. while following the herd. Right. So they were killing animals that were actively Right. Preying on the herd. Well, and that's what I was getting at kind of with the whole saying it was indiscriminate. Like, right. like right. you guys had used the example, you know, of if you took like a random 10 square mile area and killed every bear in that uh-huh. area, right. you know, the hypothetical situation like that, that's not even close to what they're doing. Right. right. You know, they're literally like shepherds for that caribou herd. Yes. They are there present yeah. watching it go down. And then when a bear comes in to prey on those caribou, taking that specific bear. Right. They're not going to shoot the bear that's over the hill, you know, two miles, three miles away, right. unless he's coming in that way. Right. Right. But, you know, and, and so that's, that's what really bugged me about it was, was calling a <laughs> intensive management plan controversy for one, yeah. because yeah. it's anything, but mm-hmm. it's very well thought through. Yeah. It's very well approved of. It has to go through a ton of approval before mm-hmm. they even implement it. Yeah. And then to call it indiscriminate killing. I, it, it's just, it, it's such a, yeah, <laughs> such a right. reach in the wrong direction. Only in the Western calving ground, it says. Mm-hmm. Now, I I think I I want to add one thing to that. I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, that's that is a very good management plan. I am all for more predator management and mm-hmm. more predator control in this state. Um, the comparison between the Nelchina herd and the Mulchatna herd mm-hmm. that you made about the 94 brown bears killed. Yeah. Those 94 brown bears may not have killed up to 35 calves per bear, even if they killed 10 right. per bear. Yeah. That's still a ton of caribou. Right. Mm-hmm. Or some of them might kill more than 35 right. per mm-hmm. bear. There are specific individual right. bears. Individual bears are better at killing some calves than other bears. Yeah. That was the average number. Right. So, yeah. Some were more, some were less. Right. So we don't really know how many they would have killed. Mm-hmm. We just know that they were targeting the caribou. They were there to kill calves. Yeah. Period. End of statement. Yep. Right? And to say that that is controversial amongst biologists is nothing short of complete lunacy. Mm-hmm. Because everyone that we all know that's involved in fish and mm-hmm. game or wildlife management in any capacity all say the same thing. We mm-hmm. have way more bears and wolves than people know, and they are getting out of control. Yeah. And yes, caribou are very cyclical by nature. They will 
boom, and then they will crash. That's mm-hmm. just how history has taught us caribou are. Yeah, That's their natural way of controlling their food source, really. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. They eat themselves out of house and home. They have a couple of bad winters. Things go wrong. The caribou herd crashes, and then they come back. Right. Right. right? But when you have a surplus of predators, like we do right now across most of the state, mm-hmm. the problem is... Everybody wants to go kill caribou and moose and sheep and goats and deer, and they want to put all their time and resources into that. And that's great, and I am all for that. But I I, I know we've mentioned this before in the show, but please just take some time in your Mm -hmm. spring and summer. A lot of areas, bears don't even close. Yeah. E- even in the summertime, that there are, that mm-hmm. there is at least one unit up here where grizzly bears don't even close in the summertime. Right. And that's the and that's the unit where the Nelchina caribou herd is. Yeah. Because there are so many bears in there. Fish and Game knows that even if everybody went out and shot one in a summer, they would still have a surplus of grizzly bears. Mm-hmm. Right. There's too many of them, but not enough people are going out there and hunting them. So yeah. if you want caribou and moose in 50 years, go out there and kill some wolves and some bears. Yep. Anyway. no and and that's exactly true that's you know if everybody does their part we'll have we'll have more more surplus at the end of the year Mm -hmm. yes which means more you know in in the name of conservation yeah you want that yeah you know you don't want to get to a point where you can't hunt anymore because there's just not enough of them things are out of balance yeah when things are out of balance and and hunters help keep things in balance and so it's important to remember that absolutely um but Lest this become the entire topic of the show again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to import, you know, kind of input my my uh, opinion on that. Um, and just, you know, I, I really, really think that was a, a very good episode. I enjoyed listening to it. So yeah. good job, well, guys. Good. I'm glad it turned um, out well. But this episode is about affordable entry-level gear mm-hmm. to get you in the woods. If you are trying to become deeper into the hunting world mm-hmm. if you're trying to get out there for maybe your first hunt and mm-hmm. maybe you know you don't have a lot of money to invest in it yeah you know i mean you can look at some of these higher end companies and i mean heck 500 dollars for a coats nothing yeah you know some of these higher end companies they yeah. they sell for a premium yeah um so what are some gear items that you can take with you mm-hmm. that will get the job done yeah um i'll be straightforward and uh, I'll just say this, guys, if your wife's listening or anybody that's uh, budget minded, this is your three second warning. <laughs> you can hunt anything in this state with a pair of muck boots, Carhartt pants, a flannel jacket, and a pair of like Helly Hansen or Grundon rain gear. And a 30 out six. And a 30 out six. <laughs> you do not need a bunch of stuff. Um, right, right. Now, with that, you're not going to have full functionality. You're not going to be able to shoot as far. You're not going to be able to stay out as long. You're not going to be as dry or as warm. Yeah. yeah. But it can be done. It, um, dry people, and warm is the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah people and, and have good back. Yeah. People have been hunting this state long before any of this gear existed. However, keep in mind, even if you're trying to get out and hunt on a budget, hunting in Alaska is inherently dangerous. Yes. And while you can do these things with a lot less gear than most people do, there's a reason we recommend higher end gear mm-hmm. typically on the show. Yeah. Um, it's not because we think you can't do it without it, but because if you end up getting stuck somewhere yeah. for a, you know a week in a storm, like you had pointed out several times in, the, in I think it was two episodes back with the uh, um, 
making sure that your puffy gear yes. dries on its own. Correct. You know, things like that. Like with this cheaper gear, you're not really going to get a lot of the functionality like right. that out of, of it. Technical performance aspects. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. you know, you're even the the there are, there is breathable rain gear on the lower end, but its rating is much lower. It's right. going to let more water in sooner, it's going to let less vapor out from the inside. Correct. Um, Correct. so understanding that you can get out there and do it, and we highly encourage everybody to get out there and do it. But Absolutely. research the limitations of your gear as well. Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. Right. Um, but we're going to go through as maybe as quickly as we can. We might sit on a couple of these, but yeah. the gear that we have determined through our experience and everything, what we would recommend for a budget, mm-hmm. a budget. This is list. basically where we all started. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. Right. All of us started hunting with the same caliber rifle. Yeah. All of us hunted, hunted with the same cartridge. Yep. And probably all with the same bullet for the first few hunts as well. <laughs> um, just Good because Corlocks. it's what <laughs> yeah. was available. It's what we could afford at the yeah. time. And it's what we shot. It, yep. And it, you know what? It worked. Right. It worked fine. We've probably all killed caribou with core locks. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> all right. Yep. Yes. A couple of them. <laughs> have, have done that. Yeah. Um, but but these are all things, and, and just as kind of a summary before we break into the individual items, these a lot of these things you can find at like your local sportsman's warehouse. Right. Our, our local sportsman's here in Fairbanks has has a lot of these um, items that we're going to talk about today. Right. Um. There, you don't need to all have the same brand. You don't need to buy it all from the same company. You just walk in there with this list essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, just pick and choose what fits you and what you think is going to work. Yep. And go out there and try it. So I'm, I'm going to go as far as to say you don't even have to buy it all at the same time. No. Right. If you're really right. on a budget, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, find stuff like what we're going to talk about here. Oh, yeah. Make your your list yeah. a hard written list on your computer, your phone, your heck, a uh, uh, piece of paper, anything. Yeah. yeah. And just dedicate. Every payday, I'm going right. to buy one thing off this list. Now, I'm yeah. mentioning, too, everything we we mention here, there's alternative brands that would be equivalent. Yeah. We're not going to go through all the brands that could possibly no. exist. No. But no. you can use, obviously, there's, you can, you know, read on, start reading online, start mm-hmm. looking at other articles, start looking at, look at equivalent stuff and look at lists of what people are, yeah. fi- you know, and f- to find what you want, you know. Right. If you are stuck on a particular camel pattern or something, look around, you'll find it. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of these clothing items, uh, at, at least, uh, well, for some of them, um, we're not even going to give many brands um, mm-hmm. specifically. No. You just know what you're looking for and mm-hmm. go see what you can find locally. Right. You don't have to shop all of it online either. Um, for the most part, when you shop online, you're going to get you're going to end up getting directed towards the higher end companies mm-hmm. when you search. Um, for instance, quarter zip mid layer, <laughs> right? Kuyu is going to be the first thing that pops up most no, likely. That's not really something to search when you're hunting on a budget either, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> quarter zip mid layer. That sounds awful specific. I'll, ex- uh, you- I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> okay, why. okay. When we get so there. when I think hunting on a budget and going online, I'm not thinking Googling. I'm thinking it, to some extent you will be, but I'm thinking Amazon. For instance, mm. our first item on the list is base layer, and yeah. it says waffle style. Long Johns or like the yep. old military poly pro style stuff. Right. I still you have some of those I use when I need a, a, an extremely warm layer. Yeah. So so I was I was gonna say, are, are we ready to break into this list? I think so. I think we're there. All right. I just did it without. You did. <laughs> I was gonna say, but before I get too far into it. All right. So yes, item one is base layers. 
So I'm going to go ahead and say from my experience, and this isn't just my bias because I'm, you know, prior army, Mm -hmm. but the army waffle system, Mm -hmm. the base layer to your seven layer Equix, um, they have, uh, there's actually two of them. There's a silk weight and then your waffle. Yeah. That is the best combo on a budget I've mm-hmm. ever found in my life. Absolutely. Um, I have tried every other affordable version of that and nothing compares to what you can find at a military surplus store. So the most important thing about, about your, your base layer is that it be something that's moisture wicking. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and with that silk weight, it is. Right. Um, that, that silk weight works phenomenal mm-hmm. for moisture wicking. Um, it keeps your, your, your skin mostly dry. Yeah. It's still cheap, but it's <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, but it's right. mostly dry. Um and that waffle layer on top of that um one they're built to go together so they fit flawlessly. You can't even tell mm-hmm. you're wearing two shirts. Right. Um but the, it just it's a wonderful combo keeps you dry, keeps you warm. Um yeah. and I don't even know what they charge at a, a surplus so store second, for that like 40 bucks a piece uh, yeah, or something yeah, like I've that. Never like it's pretty cheap. Bought yeah. it from a surplus store. I've usually picked it up used from a yard sale or something. But Yeah, and if or, you're in a town like Fairbanks with a, a ton of, you know, military presence right, in it, or, I mean, or yeah. pick it up at the at the reuse cycle station, right? Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> the dump. <laughs> the dump. Yeah. We have there's like a little roof where people can throw a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But, um yeah. I'll say what I found with those waffle style long johns or whatever is that they're usually way warmer than what I need. Unless that is true. It's, unless it's, I mean, we're talking, it's got to be 30 degrees, 40 degrees before that's, mm-hmm. that's the warmest I'll put those things on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm just going to be sitting and doing nothing all day. Yeah. You know, yeah. glassing or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I was going to say, I, I had a, I, I have a hunting buddy of mine. He's, he's uh, overseas right now on, uh, on a different tour out of the country. But, um, he, he started hunting in Alaska with me early on after he got stationed up here very early on within Mm -hmm. a month or so. And, you know, he was on a budget. He didn't have a whole lot to spend on a bunch of gear. You know, I, I gifted him some, some hand-me-down stuff that I wasn't wearing anymore, um, over time. But, uh, when he started out, man, he, he wore, um, he, he wore those, silk weight and, mm-hmm. and waffle grid fleece long johns and, uh, you know, several of his, of his military equipment that he could wear w- mm-hmm. without, you know, ruining it and getting it covered in blood and all that kind of other stuff. But yeah, his base layers were just the waffle grid fleece long johns and, and it works just fine. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal stuff. It really is yeah. but for the price you pay. Yeah. It's, it's really good stuff. So that's what you want to get into with your base layers. Just mm-hmm. search for waffle grid fleece long johns yeah. and you'll find something there and you can't go wrong with that for a beginning base layer. Cause the other thing too, is that fleece or that silk weight has some, I guess you'd call it a warming capacity. It, and I've noticed this, like if it's, if I go out in an early morning, let's just say a caribou hunt mm-hmm. or even a moose hunt, really. When it's cold in the mornings and it warms up in the in the in the middle of the day, right? Yeah, they're easy enough to take on and off, yeah. depending on what you have layered on top of it, right? That you know, if it warms up to say fifty, like mm-hmm. forty to fifty, right? I'll take that waffle off, but leave the silk weight on, mm-hmm. and it still keeps me, you know, protected from the sun, but also keeps me warm from that little bit of chill. You know, when you're out there all day long in forty five degree, fifty degree weather, it, right? It, it's a regulating um, layer. Yeah, it'll keep you somewhat cool and protected from the sun, mm-hmm. but it also provides a layer of insulation. Yeah, when it gets a little bit chilly. So I like that it has that that kind of multifunctional purpose yes. there, mm-hmm. where when the temperature does drop, you just throw it right back on. Yeah, you're warmer again. Yeah. 
Um, exactly. Well, the next thing on the list is something we already touched on, and that's the mid layer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have written down here warm quarter zip fleece with or without hood. Mm-hmm. And by quarter zip fleece, I don't mean like a heavy duty hoodie weight. I mean like a lightweight fleece, um, just just a lightweight pullover essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can find something like that. I mean, you can, dude, you can walk into Walmart and oh, find yeah. like a quarter zip fleece. That's not super heavy duty. You just want something that when it is a little bit cooler and you want to put that mm-hmm. over your base layer, mm-hmm. that's a layer option, right? Right. Um, if you if if you can try to stay away from cotton, um, that that's mm-hmm. that's one way that, that yeah, I'll that's... try to steer folks away from. If you can avoid hunting in cotton, I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know if all you have for a mid layer is like a a cotton hoodie. Don't not go hunting because of that. Right. Just be aware that when it gets soaked, you ain't drying well, it out. Well, bring and, an and extra I, one. And I, and I was going to point that out. For anybody that doesn't know why you stay away from cotton, when you get cotton wet, it loses 100% of its insulation value. Yes. It's useless, and it will hold that moisture, and yes. it will keep you wet, and it will keep you cold. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, same goes for socks. That's mm-hmm. why you don't wear cotton socks when you're in a wet environment, and you need to you know be out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like you had said, if that's all you've got and it's a nice sunny day yeah, don't and you just want to go on a four-wheeler yeah. ride, right. it's okay. Right. Just understand that if it starts to pour down rain or right. you're in a situation where you're probably going to get wet, right. maybe switch it out for something you know, else. I hunted in cotton socks and cotton hoodies for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't anymore, and I'm a lot more comfortable. But hey, <laughs> uh, I, you mentioned Walmart. You mentioned Walmart. I yeah. just want to bring up one more thing about Walmart, and that is I used to – the primary place I would go when I needed a, a base layer or a mid-layer mm-hmm. – um, in the fall, Walmart usually has a lineup of of, of lay, like base layers, and it's not maybe as good as like the waffle style. But if you need something in a pinch and you know where mm-hmm. you can get it, usually they have some base layers. Yeah, you know they'll last a season. Mm-hmm. They usually yeah. wear out really fast. Usually it 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 cu- it does what it needs to do, yeah. and it wears out. And they have right. <laughs> They have mid layers too, and they've got a few other things. I'm sure that we'll talk about that you yeah. might find there. Right. But they were kind of a quick, easy stop for very affordable price. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, something like a polyester blend that's not 100 percent cotton exactly. is probably the yeah. direction I would go. Um, but that was the exact words in my mind. <laughs> nice. Well, there you go. Yeah, I we're was, back to reading each other's I was on the same again. page with you. What do you want to take the next one, James? Um, sure. Let's see here. Number three on the list, insulation. Yes. So a wool zip-up or button-up slash puffy layer, if you can find an affordable option, like a Costco Jerry brand jacket. Uh, Cryptek puffy level jacket can be found at Sportsman's. So I think, weren't you saying, Mo, that you can find Cryptek at uh, Costco as well? Cryptek has has appeared at Costco from time to time, and that's probably the best price you'll ever find on one of their coats or jackets, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, They had a puffy there. Um, I think they just had it in black, Mm -hmm. you know, which would be probably our preferred if we were going to go with that. But they had, had, you know, and Cryptek has a decent puffy for for the price. I don't remember how much it was. I think it was like $150, which for what it is, it's probably more equivalent to, you know, a Cryptek online for probably like 300 or something. Well, and, and let's let's dive into that a little bit right now. So when we're talking about affordable gear to hunt, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get every bit of gear you need for 500 bucks. 
Right. It's just, I mean, you can if you go total minimalist, like I was talking about, with right. nothing but muck boots, a flannel jacket, oh, and a pair of heart if pants. If that's all you can do, that's when I started. I, yeah, exactly. And and you can still go out there. You might not be able to do, let's say, a 10-day extended backcountry hunt and nothing but that. But, or if you're really, really tough, you maybe can. <laughs> you can moose hunt on the weekends. But right? you can moose hunt. You can get out there. You can, you know, if you have a, a camp where you're able to use, like, let's say, a wall tent and a stove. Then yeah, mm-hmm. I mean at that point you can just come home if you do get wet, just dry out at the end of the night. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if you're looking at going into the backcountry, when you look at all of these big companies, right, your Stone Glaciers, your Kuyus, your Sitkas, things like that, you have to look at affordable as compared to their prices. Right. 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 Um, right. You can't look at something that's well, this one's two hundred, but this one's eighty. Man, that one's a lot better because. You're not comparing the 200 to the 80. You're comparing the 200 to the 500 or 600 and the 80 to that same price range, right? So there's a level where what you buy is so far, I guess you could say percentage-wise from mm-hmm. what the 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 high-end gear is yeah. that it might not even last a season. Right. You know, you'll get out right. there and just rip that puffy jacket wide right. open. Wow. Um the cryptex kind of fall into that zone where yeah. it's not the cheapest stuff on the market, but it is affordable yeah. compared to the right, bigger companies. Right. And the quality that you're going to get yeah. is is really good for the price. I know a lot of guys that use it. Um, yeah. I've used a few pieces, and it's just it, it's it's good stuff for yeah. what you're paying. I would say the same thing about Killick. I had their mm-hmm. soft shell pants and jacket. And I think I think you can get into a pants and jacket soft shell with them for like 250 bucks mm-hmm. full at regular price, mm-hmm. uh, which for me was the most money I'd ever spent on on hunting gear at the <laughs> right. time. Yeah. And I mean that was just a few years ago, but the difference from what I'd used previously, mm-hmm. you know, which was just random, you know, blue jeans and layers and nonsense, right? To that was com- so it was huge. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if the difference from you know, my $50 setup or whatever my, whatever I was trying to use before to that was that much. And then I started, then I bought a stone glacier jacket mm-hmm. and the difference from the Killick to that was phenomenal. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, right. but if you can put it, yeah, it might hurt a little bit more depending on what your budget is, but if you can put that money into the Cryptek or something like the Killick, I gave right. that Killick gear to the cameraman was running with me this year. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was he, he was he could not believe how yeah. nice it was and how light it was and how warm he still was and yeah. mm-hmm. right i i was going to say one thing about your insulation layer if you don't want to go with a puffy layer here here are your pros and cons wool remains warm when wet mm-hmm. but it's heavy when it gets wet it doesn't dry out very fast right people like puffy gear because it gives you equal levels of warmth with a lot more packability and lightweight. Right. However, when you're looking at the comparison between the two, let's just use the Cryptek puffy entry level puffy jacket that you can find at maybe your local Costco or like your sportsman's warehouse. Okay, something 125 bucks or less for a puffy coat. Mm-hmm. Um, those Jerry brand Costco jackets that we see everybody around Fairbanks wearing as a town jacket. Yeah. The, the thing that you're going to see with those entry-level puffy jackets that is the con to being the entry-level model mm-hmm. is, uh, number one is their fill power. They're not as warm as some of the more expensive puffy jackets are, mm. but also the, um, the design and, and the manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. So when you have an entry-level puffy jacket, it's going to have welded seams on the baffles. 
That is basically just the material melted together to separate the the different baffles of insulation fill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the problem with that versus stitch seam baffles is that over time and with heavy abusive use hunting, sometimes, well, oftentimes, um, you'll get those baffles will tear open mm-hmm. and you'll have the insulation kind of fall down into that next lower Slump. baffle. Right. Slump and almost, so you'll yeah. get cold spots over time mm-hmm. as those baffles tend to tear open and just, it, it, it just degrades over time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's an extremely lightweight denier face fabric. It's a very thin, very cheap face fabric. A lot of times you'll get feathers poking through mm-hmm. that face fabric over time and you'll nick holes in it a lot easier. Now, no puffy coat is tough, right? <laughs> right yeah. I'm not saying that you can go bust brush with your Stone Glacier Grumman goose down jacket. I sure won't. Mm-hmm. I do not do that. <laughs> no. Okay. And I'm not advocating for that. Yeah. But the longevity is the difference with mm-hmm. the stitch seam sewn stitch seam baffles as mm-hmm. compared to the welded seams. And so for that reason of durability and longevity, I would almost recommend someone go to a heavier weight wool layer yeah. for your insulation rather than an entry-level puffy, depending on your style of hunt. Right. If you're trying to go sheep hunting on a budget, I would probably go with the cheap puffy jacket because mm-hmm. the likelihood is you're only going to get up to 20 days in a season anyway. It will probably last you that time. Bring some tenacious tape to patch it up yeah. and call it a day. You'll right. you'll be okay. But if you're looking for a coat to get you all the way from bear baiting through the end of October when mm-hmm. moose is done, um, I would go with a wool layer yeah. for the durability and the longevity of it. It's going to be heavier. It's not going to be as packable. But it's not going to tear, and you're not going to get cold spots right. in it. So for that yeah. aspect, you know, look for something like a wool-rich flannel, wool jacket. Um, well, and, and I'll say this. Um, I've run you know, both of those setups. Yeah. And the one I landed on, um, I, I, in a lot of pictures you see me in and a lot of other things, you'll see me in a red flannel coat. Yeah. And that red flannel coat is a wool layer and it's made by, I want to say it's made by LL bean. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has a, uh, Prima loft insulated layer on the Mm. inside of it. Um, so it has the, the wool on the outside and then synthetic synthetic insulation on the inside. That thing's super warm and it's super durable. That's why I've chosen to kind of stick with that route is because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I, I'm not always the most conscious about the brush and everything like that. Sometimes I just see a spot and I want to go there and I'm going to power through it. It's inevitably going to happen. And, uh, and that thing is, is tough. Um, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but do you, can you come up with a good explanation, a good walkthrough of when people are looking for a puffy, mm-hmm. say they're going up into the mountains and that's the route they want to go. Yeah. Explaining the way the downfill system works so that when they're shopping, they know uh, what they're looking at, how warm is what, how, how what's the density of the, of the, so like fill power explanation fill power versus type versus you know basically what you're going to be looking at when you look at the right the technical specs of the coat right um, as far as fill power goes um, you, you you have n- not necessarily 
more insulation in a 900 fill power versus a 650 fill power. Mm-hmm. Um, I I believe. Well, th- yeah, th- this is th- th- that's a, that's a really good question. I might have to circle back to that. I, I know I was just reading something about that not long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, put me on the spot like that. I, I don't remember <laughs> the exact details as, as to why it is. A, it is a weird system that you yeah, use. It, yeah, and it's it, it, yeah, it, it and it's different for synthetic insulation mm-hmm. versus down insulation as right. well. Um, now, w- with that in mind, just between down and synthetic. You can find synthetic fill, like Prima Loft fill mm-hmm. um, garments on the entry level as well. Um, down is going to be more um, kind of the across-the-board puffy insulation that you're mm-hmm. going to find mm-hmm. because it is so much lighter and so much more packable. Um, kind of explaining how it works, though, when you have down, it's it's feathers, right? Yeah. When they get wet those feathers absorb water. Mm -hmm. Most of these entry-level puffy coats are not going to be treated, and they're not going to be that high a quality of down. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not you want treated or non-treated, for instance, my Western Mountaineering sleeping bag that I've run now for for quite a while is untreated down, and I've climbed in that thing wet Mm -hmm. and uh, woken up dry with water on the outside of the bag. It's wicked the moisture through. Sometimes treated down doesn't do that because it, it doesn't have as much of a breathability aspect to right. it because of that treatment on the feathers. It doesn't allow moisture to go either way through it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's you know, whether whether you like treated down versus non-treated down, we don't have to get if, get off into all that. But basically, down versus synthetic. The synthetic will wick moisture off of your body mm-hmm. if you're wet, or you know whether it be from sweat or water from the outside. The synthetic will wick moisture away from your body. Um, obviously, a lot better than down will. Down will do almost none of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we move on to the next one, since we we're talking about the Cryptek uh, jacket or puffy, mm-hmm. I thought I'd look it up real quick. And right now on Amazon, it's thirty-one percent off. Nice. In the Highlander camo pattern, one hundred and thirty-seven dollars. So normally about two hundred. Does it show if that's going to last through next week, or are we just teasing people with it? A- doesn't say. <laughs> it just says that. So yeah. Well, and and. But it's 600 fill power. Mm-hmm. It is stitch seam. Yep. Um, so it's definitely a little bit higher end of the low end yeah. stuff. But anyway. What's the what's the going rate for it? Normally 200. Normally 200. See, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. For, for a coat that's going to give you that right. much. Yeah. Now, do they make pants? I, I would assume so. I'm not because wasn't looking at that. But if you want affordable down pants, mm-hmm. I have a place for you to go. And this goes for a jacket as well. Uh, and and I, this just came to me. I, I can't believe I didn't think of this before. <laughs> Black Ovis. Mm. If you go online to Black Ovis's website, you can find a down jacket and a down pair of pants at entry-level cost. Nice. They are not that expensive. They are welded seam, mm-hmm. but I know somebody that, uh, that we would all know. I, I'm not going to mention his name right now, but... Um, he has run the, uh, the, the Black Ovis down jacket and pants for several years now and um they they have lasted just fine nice and uh, after a season you know of getting them wet and then dry and wet and dry you know the insulation kind of mats down a little bit that mm-hmm. down lose, mm-hmm. lose a little bit of loft he just throws it in the washing machine with some of that nick wax down treatment mm-hmm. and it refluffs it and it brings it back to life he patches the holes in it and goes on to next year. Yeah. Um, somebody else that uses the, the just the down pants is Brian Call. Hmm. Uh, Brian has been running cheap, and again, this is relatively cheap 
down pants from Black Ovis for quite a while now. And uh, if you know anything about Brian Call, he beats the beats the stuffings out of his gear, um, and and he loves his down pants. And, yeah. and to his point, he always says, "Look, I'm not wearing these pants walking. I'm only wearing these pants when I'm sitting down doing nothing, just glassing in the frigid right. temperatures or sleeping. I, I I don't need a three hundred fifty dollar pair of down pants. Right. And so even somebody that has everything else super nice mm-hmm. as far as gear and equipment goes." He doesn't even see the value in spending that much money on a pair of down pants. Well, and it's funny you bring that up because that's that's kind of what I was leading into is a lot of new guys mm-hmm. that are, are just now getting into this might not realize that you should buy puffy pants yes. to go with your jacket. Yes. Um, and the reason for that is if you're watching a lot of these, uh, let's call them adventure hunting films, <laughs> right? They, they, they hype everything up and make it look really, really cool, which it is. Don't get me wrong. But they're only able to show so much of the hunt in right. such a short video. Yeah. Um, so they show a lot more of the the climbing, the yeah. getting to the top of the mountain. Right. And then they'll they'll maybe pan a, a small clip of these guys glassing a little bit and finding, let's just say, a moose. We'll just call it a moose. Yep. And next thing you know, they're back up and they're walking and you know they're 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 going long distances and then it's the kill shot and then yay we got it. They don't really emphasize how long yeah. glassing takes in some instances. Yes. Like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you can get up in your bear stand and a bear walks in 10 minutes later. That's happened multiple times to me. Yeah, There may be a time when you get up to a, a ridge and you just see a moose yeah. or a sheep. Maybe you, you crest over there and, and boom, there it is. You just happen to walk right to the exact perfect spot. Yeah. Other times, <laughs> I've never been that lucky, man. <laughs> you are, you know, you are going to be sitting there a yeah. long time, mm-hmm. not yeah. moving yeah. on your glass, scanning and scanning in the elements. Yep. And it's one thing to kind of wear a light layer when you're hiking up a mountain or you're, you're doing an activity that builds body heat. Yeah. When you stop and you're just sitting there, especially if you've built up any amount of sweat on the way to that spot, yeah. it gets very cold very quickly. Right. Um, and so adding pants to that setup just provides total body coverage. Yeah. And and if you don't have them, <laughs> you're going to be missing them when you're sitting there. I always said I don't get cold legs mm-hmm. until I bought puffy pants. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized just how much warmer <laughs> All of that blood flow that goes down and back up your legs yeah. and circulates mm-hmm. through that lower part of your body, there is a tremendous benefit yeah. to having puffy pants. Especially when you're you know, tall like us. Tremendous yeah. benefit. I was, I was sitting in the bear stand a few nights with um, nothing but like a thin pair of those Sitka Traverse pants on yeah. and like three layers of insulation on top and just barely yeah. making it through, <laughs> right? Like it was just enough. Like I would have been fine if I, you know, I was fine, but yeah. once I got moving, I could tell mm-hmm. that I chilled down quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And all it would have taken would have been wearing, say, the um, the you know the uh, the stone the Havilands that I was giving you a hard time for wearing when we left, and then I was <laughs> like, man, I really wished I brought mine when we went on our camping trip because it was a lot cooler than it yeah. was the year before. Yeah. Yeah. See, this guy watches the weather forecast. <laughs> I took a glance at it and didn't think anything of it. All it I did. could see for four days was clouds and overcast and mm-hmm. fifty-five degrees. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing my De Havilland soft shell pants. It's going to be cool. That was a good move. Well, and that's important is to look at the situation you're going to be in yes. and dress accordingly, and also understand that. 
when you're out there for days, yeah, exposure is a lot different than when you're just going out and coming back to your warm house right, or right. your warm truck or your warm tent. If you're yeah. going to be out there for days on mm-hmm. end, you got to go out prepared. Yeah. So the so, uh, the Black Office 800 filled jacket is 130. It's on sale right now for about half off. Nice. Wow. And the uh, pant is not quite half off, but it's 115 right now. Yeah. One more thing I'll add about finding discount name brand hunting gear. Mm-hmm. There's a website called Camo Fire. Yep. yep. You can find a ton, a absolute ton of heavily discounted either, either on clearance or going out of stock sale, like they're discontinuing a product mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And there is a wealth of opportunity on Camo Fire. You know yeah. what's going to happen now? Everybody's going to go buy out Camo Fire. Somebody we know <laughs> gave was telling me about Camo Fire. Yeah. And before I really knew what it was, I was just like, yeah, whatever. It sounds like a scam. And he was like, no, 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 man. It's really cool. It and ain't. now he's going to give me a hard time because yeah. <laughs> he's going to listen to the podcast and be yeah. like, see, I told you. Anyway. Yeah. It's excellent. So but anyway, on the topic of figuring out the environment you're going to be in and yeah. making sure you're protected in it. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Next item on the list is rain gear. This mm. is probably the most important layer mm-hmm. that you need to consider. Um, you can go hunting in your work clothes. Carhartt pants, Dickies pants, yep. you know, I, I, I heck, Levi blue jeans. I, I don't <laughs> care. Hey, we're back on Walmart Wranglers, right? Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just, a, just a long sleeve shirt and a Carhartt jacket for insulation. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to protect those layers with a weather shell. Absolutely. We're talking about rain gear here. Mm-hmm. Now, for an entry-level price point, you will not be able to find waterproof slash breathable laminate rain gear that is really worth much as far as being able to endure harsh, long-lasting weather systems. You can find stuff to limp your way through, um, but it's not going to be what the upper echelon stuff is. Right. Um, So my my mind when you when we talk about that goes to the jacket I wore on our Southeast hunt, mm-hmm. um, which was the, uh, the Grundens, uh, what was that? The storm front? I, I think, not storm it, front, I think it was the weather man. watch weather watch. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It was the, the Grundens weather watch. Yes. Um, and that one is technically breathable. Yeah. Um, but the ratings are much lower than anything else you're going to find. Yes. Um, when you're comparing to, uh, I believe what was it? The Sitka, 
the Sitka Stormfront Stormfront is that's like, discontinued. But what? it would. But during its prime, wasn't that at like thirty one thousand? That's the Stone Glacier M five jacket and pants. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, the Stone but, Glacier M five has one of, if not. Well, I I don't want to say it's the highest, but it is one of the highest yeah. that I've found waterproof breathable ratings on the market. Yeah, it's like thirty one thousand five hundred um, waterproof rating, right? Which is extremely high. Comparing that to the the Weather Watch, yes, gets ten thousand. Right. So you are at an entry level price, but you're also at an entry level waterproof rating. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you after our southeast hunt, yeah. that it kept me relatively dry. Yeah mostly dry yeah um i was a little bit damp at the end of the some of the days mm-hmm. um, especially the heavy rain days yeah. um the hardest part with that one the hood's actually really nice on it. Yeah. it it hugs your head fairly nicely and keeps kind of the rain out from dripping down your collar but the sleeves the the, the cuffs mm. um really let water in on your arm yeah. so you got to be careful with didn't that didn't have very good cinch cuffs there were no cinch cuffs right so um that is something to watch out for but. i would say for an entry-level system of rain gear I would personally stick with non-breathable PVC coated rubber rain gear. Yep. Uh, if you on if you go on Grundon's website, you can uh, you can select rubber rain gear and it'll give you all the options. Um, they've got the Grundon's Neptune, which mm-hmm. has been kind of the gold standard for mm-hmm. Grundon's hunting style rain gear for quite a while. I, I I believe they have that in some variation of camouflage. Um, which you don't necessarily need. You don't, well, not necessarily, you don't need it, mm-hmm. um, but they make it in green and black and and a, a, a few Blue. other colors. I, I think they make it in gray as well. And they've also got the Grundon's tourney jacket and pants. I, I, I believe they make the tourney pants as well. That's a little bit lighter weight rubber rain gear. It's mm-hmm. not going to be as durable to the abrasions and the stretches over time, you know, crawling mm-hmm. over deadfall and straddling logs and things like that. You're yeah. going to rip more holes in it, I think. I haven't personally used it. Uh, I, I know some, well, I know a couple of guys here in town that that, mm-hmm. uh, that have sheep hunted using the Grundon's tourney not long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they seem to like it. Um, but uh, yeah, as, as far as entry-level rain gear goes, I would err on the side of more waterproof right. with a rubber system than less waterproofness and hoping for some breathability. Yeah. Right. Because worst case scenario, if you have a set of good old rubber rain gear right. and you're out there and it's pouring and you've got to hike somewhere, yeah. you can self-regulate yes. or, or self-determine yeah. when you're getting too hot because <laughs> you're going to sweat out wearing those things. Yes. It's... it's <laughs> it's a lot and it, yes. it holds that heat in it doesn't let any moisture escape um at spring and, bear guiding camp we have a saying when you're wearing rubber rain gear you're still wet but at least you're warm wet right yeah you know and and, and that's what a lot of people with the the cheaper yeah. rain gear ha- have told me is you know it's like um man you you sweat but it keeps you warm, keeps you warm. And, yeah. and that is true. Um, the one area that becomes dangerous is if it's a very cold night, right. you're in very cold climate um, kind of stuff. And by cold, I mean, you know, cold for fall. Right. I'm not talking about Arctic temperatures. But right. um, so you might have to, say, take it a little easier on your hike. You might not want to power through as hard right. as you were planning on because right. then you're going to be filling your boots up with in a pool of sweat and you know losing 10 pounds on the way to your camp and this sounds um, like a personal experience story james <laughs> yeah. ask me how i know <laughs> but yeah. um 
But yeah, so you might have to take a break every once in a while, maybe cool off a little bit, right. find a tree to stand under that's protected right. from the rain, open your gear up a right. little bit, let it breathe. Absolutely. Um, but you can do it. Yes. And it, that is a much better option than trying to go with something that's supposedly waterproof. Right. And then you get up there, you're soaked, and you cannot get dry. Right. Mm-hmm. At all. And keeping in mind, you, you're you using this rain gear in conjunction with a system mm-hmm. that we've already explained is not going to wick moisture and dry you off as efficiently as a higher-end gear list will. So with that in mind, you've got to be careful. Um you don't want to buy a cheaper end breathable jacket and expect your layers to just dry you out as you go or when you stop because that's not going to happen as well. Now, if you use the waffle grid fleece, a nice mid-layer, and then some type of a wool insulating layer, when you stop, it will wick moisture off of you, especially if you can get like underneath of a glassing tarp and open up your rain jacket and unzip it. Let all that moisture escape, you know, zip down to your skin. Um, you will dump the moisture that way mm. if you can stop. If you're caught on a torrent of rain, um, obviously, sideways. right. <laughs> obviously, you don't want to be wearing all of your gear. I would recommend buying some sil nylon stuff dry sacks or like some event stuff sacks that you can put all of your extra clothing that you're not wearing in your pack and keep it dry mm-hmm. so that when you do stop and get out of it finally, all of your layers aren't already soaked. Right. You can put those layers on over your, you know, soaking wet from sweat body instead of having them all soaked from sweat and outside water from a inferior breathable waterproof jacket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation is rubber. Um, Heli Hansen is also kind of the uh, kind of the most popular choice for Alaskans. It seems like mm-hmm. um, a lot of guys do wear Grundens, but I I think. The, the lion's share of rubber rain gear for hunting in Alaska is very likely the Heli Hansen Impertec yeah, absolutely. rubber rain gear. And they offer that in a waist length jacket. Mm-hmm. And they also offer it in more of a parka length that goes down to your thighs. Um, if you're if, if you're hunting in hip boots, like out of a boat or a mm-hmm. canoe somewhere, or you're just wading through the swamps to get somewhere, um, I would recommend if you're wearing hip boots, you can wear that longer length, that three-quarter length jacket mm-hmm. uh, from Heli Hansen. And to my knowledge, Grundens does not make, I was just on their website last night, Grundens does not make a three-quarter length rubber raincoat. Really? No. Even it, it, all, the, all the fishermen that buy their stuff at, and they don't have a At least that I saw last night in, in my glance through Weird. there. We, we, we can check that right now if we want to. I'll go back. I mean, I've never, I've never seen a three-quarter length from them, yeah. but I just always assumed they made it. Most but. of the fishermen wear bibs and then a waist-length jacket right, yeah. so that they don't have to worry about their bottom half getting wet because mm-hmm. they've got bibs. Right. The and other thing with that tripping over it. is those, those three-quarter length ones. Mm-hmm. really come in clutch when you're glassing yes. in wet environments or when, when you sit down when you sit yeah. down in wet tundra yes i mean even if it, the clouds break and the sun's shining yes when you sit down yes. <laughs> that tundra still has a lot there, of water there's in it. nothing wrong with even um, on a sheep hunt bringing that three-quarter length jacket it's a bit mm-hmm. heavier a bit more bulky but yeah. when you sit down your seat will mm-hmm. stay dry and for for price reference, a lot of these coats are going to run you eighty ninety. I would bucks. say anywhere from fifty to a hundred. Yeah. Um, depending on where you get it from, if yeah. it's on sale, which model you go with, things right. like that. Um, fifty to a hundred is something you can expect per piece. Yeah. Um. So you know, if you get the fifty dollar one on the low end, mm-hmm. hundred bucks for your full set. Yeah. Maybe pushing closer to that, you know, one eighty 
yeah uh, to 200 for a whole set if you get some of the higher end stuff i think i paid for that grunden's jacket i think i paid like 67 dollars for it or something like that yeah um and and what i'll say about that is if if you're doing some light let's just call it front country hunting Mm -hmm. um that would probably be my recommendation yeah because i was i mean even just a couple days ago now um i was hiking around and um, I wore that on the way up a, a fairly steep incline, trying mm-hmm. to trying to just get in shape for later this year, uh, stay in shape, I should say. But uh, and I wore that all the way to the top. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't super comfortable. Yeah, but it kept. I didn't sweat out the yeah. whole way up there. Right. Um, I was a little damp. Mm-hmm. Now I just had a t-shirt under it. I didn't layer it at all. Right. Which I mean, you've talked about on the show before with layering with breathable uh, rain gear is very important. Right. But even just with a t-shirt on and my rain jacket over that, mm-hmm. I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but I was comfortable. So if you're doing some, uh, you're just going out for a maybe a day or two, or maybe you're just going out on a wheeler ride and you might hike up somewhere to, to do some glassing or something like that. And you want something that's not going to sweat you out from the inside, but you're also not really in that long-term exposure, uh, situation expedition style hunt where you're going to be away from shelter and away from a heat source. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would say that that, that lower end breathable stuff is probably fine. And you're going to be a little bit more comfortable wearing that than you would a solid rubber. But if you are, yeah, like you said, going to be in that, that expedition style, heavy exposure, long-term exposure, nobody's coming to get you unless you hit that button on the inReach. Definitely stick with PVC. Yeah, I agree. That's my recommendation too. I would say the next thing before we move on here, um, between pants and bibs, Mm -hmm. if you are in a boat a lot or riding a wheeler a lot and you're not doing a whole lot of hiking, man, bibs are hard to go wrong with. They lock in a lot of heat. The only downside is, um, how do I put this tactfully? When nature calls, (laughs) it's difficult to quickly undo your bibs. to right. answer said call. Yeah. So keep that in mind, lest you end up with a story that you have to write into our podcast you know, about. Grundens came up with a really cool thing, actually. I got a pair of their bibs. got a trap door? Like to wear. <laughs> no, they have a, uh, it's it's a little uh, strap that goes between the shoulder, the shoulder straps. Yeah. And the only reason I can think it's there is so those shoulder straps don't fly over your shoulders. It's so they right. don't fall off your shoulders. I've worn bibs without That's a, what I'm sh- saying. a cross strap. No, I'm talking to, to the right or the left. I've worn bibs without a cross strap. Oh, and really? It's just a constant battle, it's especially pretty low under for that. a raincoat. I don't, I don't know. I know that's been a problem I've had in the past. Well, that's why I think it's there. Okay. So that's <laughs> <laughs> well, but I was going to ask mm-hmm. before we jump off the, the the wet weather topic. Have you heard of an affordable wader system? Whether waist high, chest high, any yeah. kind of waders. Um, yeah. Just because like you had mentioned with being in a boat a lot, if you're having to jump out of a boat, man, waders yeah. come in, come in awesome. As far as hip boots go, I mean, you can get the cheap brand. Uh, um, I, I wouldn't yeah. even know what they're called. Yeah, they're, but they're, they're, they're at Sportsman's too. They're like 80 bucks or something yeah, like that. Yeah, those, those aren't what I would recommend for hip boots. They, they don't tend to last very long. Mm-hmm. Sportsman's also sells and, and carries what, what I use. I end up buying a pair there every year for, mm-hmm. for spring bear guiding because I, I, I burn through a pair of lacrosse um, insulated hip boots every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wear them almost nonstop all springtime long um, for all my boat work because they're warm. 
Um, but as far as, you know, the, and I, I should mention those lacrosse insulated hip boots and even the non-insulated ones are right around 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now the reason I say waders and not hip boots is yes. because I've had a, I've had situations where I have had to jump out of a boat yeah. and it's a lot deeper than it looks from the surface. Yes. <laughs> the best affordable waiter for like full, like chest, chest mm-hmm. waiter that I've, I've been familiar with and that I've used is just a basic neoprene. They usually run 100 to $150. Yeah. They're not tough. You're not going to beat the brush with them. You're yeah. talking about like, like the waterfowl ones. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it could be, could yeah. be. A lot okay. of them yeah. are like yeah. for like fly fishermen and stuff mm-hmm. like that because they just yeah. wade out into the river or whatever and stand Most there. guys don't wear neoprene anymore because it's not very durable and right. it's so dang hot. It is. It's it is really right. hot right. to wear. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the Sims Freestone chest mm-hmm. waders are probably going to be your cheapest option there. Um they they make those in uh, in just the bibs, I believe. Mm-hmm. As far as Sims pants go, they've got um, they, they've got two different uh, lines of pants. One of them uses Gore-Tex, and one of them uses uh, Torre fabrics, um, which are the ones that I've got. They're they're actually less expensive than the Gore-Tex ones, but they but they have some features about them that I liked from the Torre fabrics better than the Gore-Tex model of waiter that they had for pants. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as boots go, I mean Sims has plenty of uh, you know affordable hundred dollar range uh, wading boots as well. Um, if it's just quick stream crossing stuff and you don't need a whole lot for a for a wader system, um, or, or or if you're creek crossing in the mountains, um, the easiest way I've done that is just bring some cheap sandals, mm. just like some beach sandals that strap around your feet. Um, I've tried crossing creeks and crocs, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's one or two of my crocs in the mountains somewhere <laughs> that have washed off my feet in you, the mountains. You and didn't kick them into four wheel drive. I did, but they <laughs> did. Uh, they they slipped out. You know, they, they get a little bit of slippery when they're wet. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I I think the I think the entry level Sims chest waders are probably the way to go for now. Mm-hmm. The, the The problem is that they're not very durable. Right. Um. You know that they they tend to get little um tiny little pinholes in them when you sit on the rocks or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You have to be really careful with them. Yeah. Um. But if you're looking for chest waders at an at an affordable level, you know, for jumping in and out of the boat mm-hmm. on a coastal hunt. I would probably still go with those entry-level Sims waders is, yeah. is what I would recommend. Even river hunts, honestly. I mean, yeah. w- when you're jumping out of a boat, I mean, it can look a, it can be a lot deeper than it looks. Absolutely. And, and those those hip boots typically can get you in a lot of trouble. You have to be careful with them. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. More for fishing than hunting. Yep. Yep. Well, the next thing on our list here is uh, just a couple of little accessory items. They're important, but we're not going to spend too much time on them necessarily. These are just things that you need to have in your gear kit, and that is a warm beanie and gloves and wool socks. These mm-hmm. are just, uh, you know, um, top and extent of your limbs yeah. uh, <laughs> items. You know, just keep your head warm. Obviously, a nice warm beanie, something like a little fleece military surplus um beanie works yeah. fantastic i see more guys wear those than not i do um yeah, yeah and they, they work fine they, <laughs> yeah. they they dry pretty quick um and they uh you know they they're not very heavy they're mm-hmm. they're pretty lightweight but they are very warm um and they're cheap and yeah. you can find them pretty much everywhere mm-hmm. the um, one thing i was going to say with those is i've had them get soaked yeah and then you i mean you can literally just wring it out yeah put it back on your head and you're warm again and it feels warm no, yeah, exactly a, like a walmart 
beanie type deal that was like had some kind of layer of waterproofing or something in it mm-hmm. and usually for a couple hours it was good once it got wet <laughs> wasn't much good but uh, it was here, more of a fleece layer so it still stayed yeah. warm here's here's a pro tip for you for that fleece beanie okay for like that military surplus fleece beanie go buy a bottle of spray on dwr treatment ah, from your local yeah. sporting goods store sportsman's warehouse usually sells some kind of a spray on nick wax treatment that's big brain thinking right there that now and, and here I, i'm gonna hit two birds with one stone here okay you, you're not ready for this knowledge <laughs> i'm about to fly out of my seat yeah. get out your pens and papers <laughs> You need to spray down that beanie with DWR. That, that'll keep it from absorbing mm-hmm. as much water. Uh, it, it's not going to waterproof it, but it gives you a little bit more protection. Because mm-hmm. inevitably, as you're busting brush up through the up through the subalpine trying to get out of the tree line, you're not going to have your rain jacket hood on the whole time because mm-hmm. it's just too hot, right? Yeah. All of us do that. We just, you know, screw this. I'm, I'm done with it. And they just... Just pull it around the back of your neck and you kind of tuck it down so it's not pooling up with water in your hood and you're just done with that hood because it's mm-hmm. it's hot and uh, all that moisture and, and heat from your body is just dumping up through that collar and the hood is keeping it there on your face and your glasses fog up if you're like me. <laughs> um, so inevitably, your hat gets wet. Um, so having that little DWR spray on works really, really well for that light rain. Mm-hmm. And... Spray down your neoprene rifle scope cover with that. Mm. If you're running a neoprene scope coat, mm-hmm. spray that puppy down with DWR. Yeah. You will be amazed. Now, neoprene naturally has a water repellent um, um, ability. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't absorb water like other materials do. Yeah. That's why they make fishing gloves and waders out of it, right? But it eventually of of uh, after compression and pushing on it and and hitting it up against brush it will absorb that water over time mm-hmm. if you spray that scope coat down with dwr um, that'll help it go a long ways too. I did the same thing to my Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. Yeah. Just so it won't absorb quite as much water. Now that doesn't absorb much water at all to begin with, but that little bit of extra layer of protection it's like a $5 bottle of Nick Wax dwr spray. Mm-hmm. So pro tip um, gloves and wool socks. You, you know, Mo, we still have to figure out a jingle for Dalton's pro tip segment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like your bonus segment. We need to get jingles for all these things. Jingles. <laughs> jingles. Hmm. I have to come up with something. Yeah. I would say for gloves, if you're looking for an absolute waterproof glove, get a um, orange or red um, rubber fishing glove with mm-hmm. fleece lining. That's the most waterproof glove you're ever going to find. I was just going to say... When it comes to gloves, yeah, it's okay to have like a, a very thick pair of like uh, winter gloves for yeah. sitting when you're in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but for your average glove mm-hmm. that you're going to be wearing most of the time, you really want to focus on some kind of water proofing. Yes, that goes into that because when your hands get cold, yeah, and you might not think about it when you're just working. Let's say you work construction and you work in the rain and your hands yep. are cold all the time. You never think about it. Yeah. There's another there's another option too that I don't want to forget about. Sportsman's um, used to and, and might still have it's it's a neoprene fingerless glove with a Velcro mitt that you can fold back mm-hmm. over the top of your hand. Okay, and then you can pull it back forward over your fingers that are exposed in the fingerless gloves. I wore the same pair 
of those neoprene mitten slash fingerless gloves for years. Mm -hmm. I probably wore those things for five or six years before I finally tore them up too bad. Yeah. Those were my favorite gloves. And now that I'm talking about them, I need to go buy another pair (laughs) because I kind of forgot about them. Yeah. Um, But for a lightweight, pretty water resistant pair of gloves that just kind of do it all. Mm-hmm. I wore those things everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good option for that. that might, I'm, go I'm going to have to look into getting some of those too. Cause I, I've traditionally run, um, I think I want to say they're called the hot shot gloves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a fleece style. Those are more of a fleece style. Yeah. They're not yeah. waterproof at all, but right. putting some of that spray on them might help a little it, bit, but, it will, yeah. um, but you know, it's kind of the same thing. I bring those out when I know I'm in a, a situation where mm-hmm. I can, use them. My hands aren't going to get wet. Right. I'm riding the wheeler and it's raining or I'm, you know, out somewhere and it's raining. I don't mm-hmm. put them on. Yeah. Um, but fingerless gloves are important because a lot of these, these thicker kind of like you were talking about with the, the right. almost fisherman style gloves right. that have the, the fleece lining on the inside, you're not going to be able to shoot with those on. Yeah. You know, so when it, you lose it, a lot of your dexterity, yeah, you lose a lot of your de- dexterity. And so when you get into a situation, it's really nice to be able to just kind of fold that that yep. mitt back over the back of your fingers yep. a lot of them they just they have like a magnet or a, a snap or something like that yep. keeps it out of the way and you're free to shoot and you can dial your scope to it you can yep. use your cell phone you yep. can look at your ballistics chart you can feel your trigger on your finger right. Yep. Right. Um, that, that's a really good way to go something i like when glassing is uh is one of those mitts that it hangs in front of you you know you can get the ones that strap around you or whatever mm, that you yeah. stick your hands in and instead of running a waterproof glove um mm-hmm. you and i have both done this when we're predator calling we take like a pair of wool gloves fingerless with the mitt yes. right yes. and we wear a pair of liner gloves underneath yep. and just that by itself especially if you throw a hand warmer in that mitt will work for a long time mm-hmm. but you combine that with something like that um with the big uh, i don't know I'm sure there's a better name for it, but the mitt or the hand warmer, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if you're glass, Kind of like a big pouch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's insulated. You're usually waterproof. You can put hand warmers in there. There's a lot of waterfowl your... hunting companies that offer yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, Sitka offers one and, you know, every, yeah. there's, there's there's a $30 one down at Sportsman's, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's even got shotgun shell things on the rings on the outside if yeah. you're, right? Yeah. There you go. But uh, anyway, I, I like that. Some You know, for, for a glassing situation, especially like if it's a bit of a base camp type deal mm-hmm. going on right because right. then i don't have the big bulky gloves i even have to worry about right right exactly um for socks wool socks mm-hmm. um don't bring cotton don't bring anything else um you need to have wool socks something like a, a pair of darn toughs you can get away with just buying two pairs of them um yep. or you can get like a smart wool i think darn tough has a lifetime guarantee i love darn tough i've got the same pair of darn toughs i i've got one pair in particular i have had for nine years mm-hmm no holes in them still warm <laughs> i still wear them every week they are fantastic fantastic wool socks so that's something where you're you know you're going to spend you know 30 bucks for a pair of socks but they're right. going to last you a decade yeah so i would recommend wool socks no other option there in my yeah. opinion there, there's really like we said before you really want to stay away from any kind of cotton Again, if you're going to be out for like a day trip, it's not that big of a deal, especially if it's nice weather. But if you're going into the back country, it's a really important thing to use a wool sock. Yes. Um, I, I've seen some companies start using like alpaca and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And any right. kind of a, I believe all of those, those style socks have the same moisture wicking properties yeah. and, and the warm and wet properties and yeah. everything like that. So, but that's the biggest thing to focus on there. Yes, um, I agree. There, there is a, a good... One thing I used to do, and I haven't really had to with the darn tufts, is I used to take those really thin black, um, 
I think they're probably a nylon, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. But if, if you think about like dress socks, like what right. you wear with, with your dress shoes, um, super thin, can't even notice they're there. But that um, has a lot of moisture wicking ability there too. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to have dry feet, kind of layering your socks with those, putting those on on the very, very right up next to your feet and mm -hmm. then putting the wool socks over that is yeah. a, I mean, a surefire way to make sure you don't get wet feet. Yeah. Smart wool makes a really good pair. Uh, they're white, um, just liner wool socks, super, super thin. Mm -hmm. um, right. and, they're and merino. You can, and you, yeah, I, I believe they're merino wool Yeah, and they fit underneath your normal wool socks. And if you have problems with getting blisters in the backcountry, mm -hmm. um, that's a really good way to help avoid that as well. A, a lot of folks find relief in having a liner sock so that there's not that direct friction mm -hmm. to where your heavier sock will rub up against your liner sock as opposed to your heavier sock just being directly up against your skin for that mm -hmm. abrasion over time. And so. if you're really trying to be lightweight, you can bring two pairs of liners and one big pair of wools mm -hmm. and just swap the liners out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that covers a lot of the worn gear. Yes. The, the stuff that goes on your body. But what about the stuff you bring with you? Um, there's a lot of gear that goes into hunting that doesn't involve keeping you warm, keeping you dry, mm -hmm. things like that. But it's essential to your success. But it's exact, exactly. It's essential okay. to your success. So I want to say this next one because I have the exact thing that's on the list here recommended. Yep. Okay. Go for it. All right. Binoculars. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we have here, it's the only thing we've got written down is the Leopold BX2s which is what I run right now, and I've considered buying more pairs of just in the different <laughs> magnifications just because they're very affordable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And for the cost, you can't beat them. No. Yeah, the, so the BX2 Alpines um, are by far the best affordable uh, binoculars I've ever used personally. Yes. Um, I actually picked mine up on Black Friday, um, happened to just be walking by and noticed they were for sale. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to say I picked mine up for like eighty nine dollars. <laughs> like, wow! <laughs> um, which kind of goes back to you know look for sales, look for right. Look, right. look for discounted right. gear. Memorial um, Day, Labor Day, yeah. Christmas sales, yeah, Fourth of July, Black Friday, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I think normally they run what one eighty, two hundred, mm, something like that. Are they, are they more than that? No. Depends on which ones you're getting. Yeah. I think like the uh, say so with inflation, I haven't kept up the with ten prices. the eight forty twos. I think the eight forty twos are around one eighty. Okay, and then yeah. like I have the ten, the ten fifties or fifty twos or whatever they are. Fifties, mm. I think. And yeah. I think they were like two thirty. I think okay. I got them yeah. on sale for like one eighty. But yeah, and, and yeah. they do make a good range of of magnifications. Yeah. Right. They do. And, and optical size too so yeah. that's really nice for yep. depending on what situation you're going to be in if you need more field of view or you need more magnification maybe you need less mm -hmm. right if you just are trying to go lighter weight yep. yeah 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 absolutely i think those bx2s are probably the best entry-level binocular out there mm -hmm. uh, that, at least that's that's what our opinion is yep. and uh and I, I there are other companies that make entry-level binoculars um use what you like buy mm -hmm. what you can find yeah. Um, you know, if, if all you can find is a pair of Nikons, that'll work just fine too. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikon makes, um, for the money, relatively good glass. Yeah. Um, in, in that 200 to $250 range for a pair of binoculars, most of them are going to be about the same. Yeah. Um, we like to recommend Leupold when we can. Um, yep. it's, it's a, it's a brand and a company based here in the States that we know and trust and have all come to like over the years and they're reliable. Yeah. Right. Lifetime warranty. They don't have to advertise it. <laughs> right. Enough said. <laughs> I yep. will say they, they have been backcountry tested and proven. I was in sportsman's uh, a few months ago 
before bear season looking at some of the smaller magnification binos just for something to carry in my chest rig. And I was looking at all the brands. I mean, I looked at all of them, even the brands we don't like to mention, right? Yeah. And uh, all the, <laughs> you know, say, eight don't, and don't 10 say. by, you know, all the eight by uh, 32s and 10 by 32s and um, oh, everything that was within a reasonable price range, anywhere from like, you know, 50 to $200. Yeah. Mm. And in that, obviously the lower end ones were not good you know the $50 <laughs> ones were just like I can't hardly even look through these things I can see better with my can't own even eyes, read but. the exit sign in the store with those <laughs> um, well and it wasn't so much that it was more they were hard to look through they were hard they, they didn't you know my, my they hurt my eyes to look through right <laughs> but um you know comparing popular brands that are on par say with loophole or considered on par with loophole around that price range those were definitely the the, the, the best feeling ones mm-hmm. in the group yep Yep, yeah, I agree. No, and the, and then the like we said with the durability and the seals is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Leopold seals, you're not gonna get any kind of water inside the glass, which is heartbreaking when that happens, and yeah. you cannot replace <laughs> your glass. Isn't supposed to slosh around with water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, um, kind of along that same line though, um, your rifle is very important. Your rifle and scope combo. Um, yes, sir. Now. Clearly, we're going to recommend Weatherby, mm-hmm. and not just because we're sponsored by them. Yeah, um, I want to make that clear. I'm not going to recommend them because of that, but it's because Weatherby has a reputation for good rifles with tight tolerances and good accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I like to stress on people, and everybody argues, but a lot of them haven't... Uh, tried to stretch them out as far as i have i'll put it that way yeah cheap rifles can work for hunting within limited ranges yes but a lot of times what you're going to find with these cheaper rifles um and i'm not going to slam any brands but you know when you're looking in that like four to five hundred dollar rifle range especially if it comes with a scope stay away from that um hey watch it but (laughs) (laughs) i killed my first couple caribou with one of those rifles i'm not saying you can't do it i'm saying but you are going to have uh limitations um the reason for that is the tolerances they're built with are a lot lower yeah right um you're going to have a lot more slop in your bolt than you would with a higher end rifle. Yeah. And higher end doesn't always equal higher price. A mm-hmm. lot you have to go with a company that takes a lot of pride in their rifles that yeah. is not worried so much about uh quantity as much as they are about quality. Right. Um and Weatherby definitely falls into that category. Yeah. They make uh the Vanguard is a very budget friendly uh line of rifles. They have a ton of different ones. Mm-hmm. Um it looks like it's ranging from like $630 for a rifle that's yeah. with a synthetic stock. So yeah. you don't have to worry about it warping mm-hmm. or anything like that when mm-hmm. you're in the back country. Yeah. Um, they do have some models that go up and touch the thousand dollar range um, in the Vanguard lineup. Yeah. But what Vanguards are for people that don't know, it's a Weatherby made rifle that basically uses a Howa action mm-hmm. to to so it's not their uh their mark five it doesn't have the proprietary action right it doesn't have the 54 degree bolt lift like a mark five does it's um it's not going to be your six lug or nine lug um bolts but howa has 
typically been known for making very accurate rifles. Oh, man. A lot how, of, how has been making great actions for a lot of yeah, years. Yeah, a lot of even competitive shooters shoot how Japanese gun um, makers are known for making good products. Right. And so to use a, a gun that's made, th- the actions made by a company like Hawa, mm-hmm. the rifle itself is put together by a company like Weatherby. Mm-hmm. For a price point, you might have to spend an extra couple of hundred bucks on it, mm-hmm. but it is well worth it. A lot of these these lower end rifles that you're going to find, you might know a buddy that gets one that shoots one MOA mm-hmm. with a certain certain kind of ammo. It just likes it. Maybe that one uh, was the one that they actually checked during their QC checks. But there's a lot more deviation between rifle to rifle mm-hmm. as far as quality control goes. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more room for error. Some of them, they're not free floated. Um, they're not, you know, they sacrifice a lot of, of accuracy components to the rifle build in order to get that price point Mm -hmm. down there. Um, a lot of the guys that buy those and are happy with them are the guys that are shooting paper plates at a hundred yards. And as long as they hit the plate, they're happy. Right. Um, that's not what we recommend for hunting. That's not really ethical Mm -hmm. unless you never take a shot past a hundred yards. Yeah. Um, so just understand that when you are looking for a budget rifle, be very picky. Look at all of the history on that rifle. Look up videos. Look up, I mean, I hate to say reviews, but look up reviews. Look up <laughs> yeah. you know, what other people say. Um, because what you'll find is discrepancies mm-hmm. rifle to rifle. You might find, like I said, one guy that loves them, one guy that hates them. Um, and I know a lot of people that have gone that route and then ended up having to send their rifle in because they go to the range and they can't hit a paper plate at 100 yards. Right. Um, and so obviously the, the Weatherby Vanguard is a very great place to start. Yeah. Um, you know, and even honestly with the new Mark five lineups, I mean, if you're willing to, to spend a little extra money on what I would argue outside of keeping yourself alive with good clothes, your rifle is probably the most important component Right. because it doesn't matter how good your binoculars are. It doesn't matter how good your, your, uh, glassing, uh, scope is. It doesn't matter how strong your pack is if you don't have a good rifle to get the job done. Um, so definitely when you're, when you're laying your budget out, put a lot of money towards, towards your rifle, a good percentage of that budget should go towards your rifle because without that man, (laughs) and you can get a Vanguard that is Cerakoted for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. I I was, I was going to say that as my next point is, not only are the tolerances going to be better, the materials are going to be better as well, and that includes the steel quality mm-hmm. in the rifle itself. It's going to be more corrosion resistant the higher grade the steel is in a rifle. Um, and then if you want to just eliminate that out of the equation altogether, you can just go with a Cerakoted model mm-hmm. um, of, of the Vanguards. Now, there are multiple other gun makers out there that you walk into any sporting goods store in your local town that they will have budget entry level rifles in Mm -hmm. there. Um, I'm not going to say that you cannot buy one of those and have success. Um, will they work? Probably. Um, I'm going to name two of them just, uh, just in quick passing. Mm -hmm. Well, three of them. And um, one of them is a bit more expensive than all the rest, but we're we're just going to name three just to kind of give you other options that will work. If, you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, the Remington 770 is a $350 rifle. It's pretty cheap. It has a uh, plastic trigger guard, um, cheap plastic magazine, um, cheap plastic stock. stock. Yeah, it, Bushnell it, scope. Right. 
No, that, 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 we'll, 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 we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, another option that I think is a step above the 770 is the Winchester XPR. Mm. Um, I've seen, I, I have seen dozens of people up here in Alaska that are really good hunters that shoot Winchester XPRs for mm-hmm. a beater rifle. They shoot, and they shoot pretty darn good for what they are, and they are in that budget entry-level rifle price range. Again, cheaper components. Um, you're not getting that upper echelon high-quality rifle. Mm-hmm. I love nice guns. Yeah, All of us like nice guns, yes. but we all started out with something. Right. Um, both of you guys started out with a Remington 770. I did, mm-hmm. yep. Back in your early days. Yep. Now, the next one up after that, is going to be right up in that Weatherby Vanguard price range, and that's the Tika rifles. Mm-hmm. The Tikas are probably the most popular off-the-shelf entry-level rifle. If you get a blued steel model, um, most of them, I think most of them have synthetic stocks. You know that they're all plastic um, stocks. Yeah, foam, um, foam filled these days. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, the, the T3Xs are foam filled. And they shoot good. They're reliable guns. Yep. Um, and Antica makes things from the affordable end up into a little bit nicer rifles as well, over yeah. that $1,000 mark. Some even pushing up to that $1,500 mark. Typically ranging average is like $750 to $1,250. Right. It is right. In Somewhere that, in, in that, that ballpark. Range, yeah. Which at that price point, I would say you're, you're already in that ballpark. You can go with a, with a Weatherby Vanguard Cerakoted mm-hmm. model for that price. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that has a three-position safety and a two-stage trigger mm-hmm. um, and, and has a uh, has a hinged floor plate magazine instead of a, uh, instead of a box mag, mm-hmm. which I prefer a hinged floor plate over a detachable magazine, personally. That's, that's just the route that I go. Very rarely do I choose a hunting rifle anymore that has a detachable magazine. There's just more things to go wrong there. Um, so th- those are other options that if you cannot find a Weatherby Vanguard um, in your local area and you don't want to buy one online and have it shipped to you, that's fine. If you go into your local sportsman's warehouse, they're going to have a 770 mm-hmm. or an XPR or a Tika of some entry-level model that you mm-hmm. can go with that will work. Yeah. Now, what Mariah mentioned a few minutes ago that we all rolled our mm-hmm. eyes at is that some of these guns may or may not come with a scope. Don't use that unless you absolutely <laughs> cannot afford to buy something else. Yeah. yeah. So my recommendation is take the scope off, take the rings off. Yep. Buy a $50 set of tally lightweight aluminum rings. Absolutely. And buy yourself an entry-level scope, which we believe that the best entry-level scope that we've found is the Leupold VX Freedom. Mm-hmm. That is their entry-level line. Now, a few years back, Leupold used to have VX1s, 2s, 3s, 5s, and 6s yeah. in their VX lineup, in their very X, okay? And then a few years back, they made the switch. They uh, they did away with the VX1 and the VX2 as their starter lineup. They kept the VX3. They switched it to the VX3i and the VX5 and the VX6. And they made the VX Freedom line, which is basically their entry-level line, what the VX1 and 2 used to be. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, they have more VX Freedom options. They have CDS-style options. I believe they even might have one with a, with an illuminated reticle. Yep. They have options mm-hmm. with a 30 millimeter tube now to let in a lot more light in an entry-level scope, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
for an option to have a 30 millimeter um, um, tube on the main body of the scope on an entry level scope. It's only going to cost you a few hundred bucks. Right. And then they have from up uh, up from there. Um, you had the VX3 HD and the VX5 HD and the VX6 HDs, um, which get progressively more expensive yeah. um, with those models. So for an entry-level model, the VX Freedom line of loophole scopes, again, all come with the same loophole lifetime guarantee mm-hmm. warranty that they don't have to advertise. We're just going to leave that hanging <laughs> right there. We'll just let the silence sink that in. Um, so your VX Freedom line, they have two to seven, they have one and a half to fives, they have mm-hmm. three to nines, four to twelves. Um, and like I mentioned, they have CDS dial options. Now, one thing to be careful of is the VX Freedoms that have CDS dials to this point of this show. I don't believe any of them are offered with a locking turret CDS dial. So there's two things I was going to talk about with scopes okay, when it comes ahead. to budget scopes. Yep. Um, and I think Mo and I had kind of gone back and forth a little bit on this on, in one episode before. Budget scopes can work great, but every single one is going to have a limitation that the next model up doesn't. Um, I believe you're right. They don't have a locking a locking turret from what I've seen. From yeah. what from what I've seen either. Um, if you do jump up to let's say the VX three HDs, yes, then you'll get that locking ring. Yeah, but you're still limited on your range. Yes. Um, now, when you jump from, let's say, the Freedoms to the VX3s, the VX5s, the VX6s, um, what those numbers are referencing is is the, the times of magnification. Zoom ratio. Zoom ratio, yeah. And so what you're ending up with is, is your start magnification is going to be a little bit lower and your high-end magnification is going to be a little bit higher um, because it's, 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 the ratio is just more there. Um, that's the easiest way I can think to explain it. Um, but that's not the only thing you're going to see a difference in. You're also going to see a difference when it comes to your turret. Like you had said, that one doesn't have a locking, mm-hmm. but the VX threes, you get one revolution yeah, and one only, yeah. I believe the highest I've seen is, I want to say it's like 13 and a half MOA, that's, 14 um, it's MOA, 14 MOA. I had sort of, I have it's, a VX three. I know I was going to. Yeah, 14 MOA is, is the highest I've seen. Um, some of them don't go quite that high, and that mm-hmm. might depend on where your zero lands. Yeah. Um, because you also have turret travel. Right. So um, not only are you limited to how far you can adjust that, but you might be limited on how far it can even adjust inside the scope, period. Correct. Um, so the higher end scopes, um, like the difference is, I believe the VX5s, you're allowed... ZL2, so you get two full revolutions. Right, yeah, so two. it's like 23 MOA or yeah. something like that. And I, yeah, and it just keeps going up from there. The thing is, with those lower-end scopes, you're again, it will work for hunting, but you have to understand the limitations on Correct. it. You don't want to be out there with a freedom trying to make a 700-yard shot on a, on a living animal. Right. Can you do it? Sure. M- maybe. Maybe, if yeah. you're really good. Should you do it? If you've practiced a lot. No. Yeah. Because, you know, like even with the VX3s, that 14 MOA of adjustment, if you're shooting a Magnum cartridge mm-hmm. with a good BC bullet, that can get you out into that 650, 700-yard range, depending on what you're shooting. Um, but most of the time, if you're looking for budget cartridges, which we'll talk about in a second, yeah. you're not going to have that extended range. You're probably right. not going to be shooting a Magnum to start with. Right. Um, and so just doing your research on each individual piece, each component, and understanding that in this 
range of budget, I would say limit your shots to 300. I would say 300 for a budget rifle with a budget scope is should be your maximum range. Can you touch farther than that? Probably. But it's a question of can you versus should you. Right. My advice would be when you're going with an entry-level scope, try not to get one with a dial on it. Yeah. Here's why. Leupold offers in that VX Freedom lineup a reticle option mm. that is called the Tri-MOA reticle. And in the reticle itself, when you look through the scope, it has 10 little lines going to the right, to the left, and then down to the bottom, below the center of the crosshairs. And those lines represent, I believe, I, I, I think it's one line for one MOA. Mm -hmm. Only at full magnification. Okay, so if you're going to use your holdover lines, if you've looked at your ballistics chart, and let's just say that you know that your 30-06 at 300 yards, you are going to drop, I don't know, let's just say four MOA. I, I'm just pulling numbers out of the hat here. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at a ballistics chart. Okay, so you know you, you know that you need to bring your gun up four minutes of angle to hit that animal at 350. Mm -hmm. Okay, instead of having a turret that doesn't lock on an, on an entry-level scope, Right. you don't need to have to worry about dialing. Mm -hmm. Zoom your scope to full magnification, whether you got a two to seven or a three to nine or a four to 12. Which if you're having to use those, you're probably gonna want to be at full magnification anyways. Right, but those numbers only represent that value, that one MOA value at full magnification. Right. That's how a second focal plane scope works mm -hmm. with a holdover reticle. Right. Therefore, you don't have to worry about a turret being exposed and getting turned. Mm -hmm. You can have capped turrets, simple, easy scope solution, mm -hmm. where you can just hold over on that four MOA line at full magnification and make that shot. Yeah. Do not look at the box and tell your inches and then just kind of Kentucky windage it. Get a ballistics chart, get your velocity, even if you just use your box velocity. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is better than nothing. It's not what I recommend. If you don't have <laughs> access to a chronograph, this is entry level ballistics. Okay. For the beginner, take your box velocity, plug that into shooters calculator online. You don't even mm -hmm. have to get an app for it. Get your ballistic coefficient, your G1 or your G7, whichever one you can mm -hmm. find. Plug that into a ballistics calculator at your zero range, and, and then you get your drop chart. Mm -hmm. Look at your MOA drop, write that down on a chart, or print it out and laminate it and put it in your stock sleeve or keep it in your binoculars harness, whatever uh, that, that method is for you, so that you know your minute of angle drop at any given distance inside your shooting distances, right. okay? So whether that's out to 350 or 400 or whatever it is. That way, you can range it, put Pull up your scope, look through it, zoom to full power, hold over to that, um, to that holdover line of minute of angle, mm -hmm. and take your shot. Yep. Okay. That's my recommendation. And if you are in that beginner phase, buck fever takes over quickly. Yes. Um, it can. You can read all the all the articles, you can watch all the videos, you can know all the information when you're asked to repeat it in the middle of a conversation. But in the moment, sometimes, especially if you don't have a locking turret, 
it can be very easy to not double check that. Exactly. Even on a close shot, you know, yeah. maybe you're not looking at uh, whether you're still on zero or not. Right. So, right. Not to harp on this too much. Um, right. I mean, we are, but <laughs> that's because it's very important. Um, nothing is more heartbreaking than putting in all the work, getting all this gear, going out there, and then when the moment is present, you miss mm-hmm. or you just wound an animal mm-hmm. worse, you know? Yeah. Um, so, making sure you have the proper equipment to finish the job yep. and, and follow through is is the biggest thing. I so. agree. I think the next thing that we that we'll hit on here with your rifle and scope combo just quickly is your cartridge selection. Right. You touched on this. I was going to go that route. Um, limit yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't go out if if and and again this is geared towards beginning hunters. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially in Alaska. Because this is Alaska, right? <laughs> um, but really, this is true of anywhere. Yes. Yeah. An old timer hunter, when I was first getting into hunting in Alaska, mm-hmm. gave me a piece of advice because I wanted to go out and buy, um, for my first rifle, I wanted to go out and buy a super whopper banger magnum cartridge <laughs> for my first center fire hunting rifle. I like that. And term. he gave me some advice that at the time I thought was just ridiculous. And he said, don't go out there and just buy some newest, latest, greatest Magnum cartridge and then think that you can shoot something farther away than you should because you haven't practiced that much. Mm -hmm. You don't know that you can do it that well yet. Go out there and buy something that limits you inherently by the cartridge itself. Right. Buy something that's easy to shoot, that's cheap to feed, and that's not punishing and that's going to give you recoil um, flinching Flinch, tendencies yeah. at the mm-hmm. range when you're practicing. So he said, don't go out there and buy a seven mag or a 300 wind mag or, um, you know, something super new and flat shooting that, that, uh, that, that, that all the YouTube videos advertise that you can kill an animal at 600 yards with mm-hmm. go out there and buy something boring that works inside ethical beginner ranges. Okay. So as a starter, we all started here with a 30 out six. Yeah. Right. Every single one of us did. And we all killed animals with it for quite a while before we made the switch to something a little bit flatter and farther shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place to start. If I could only own one cartridge based off of popularity and ammunition and components availability to hunt the interior of Alaska for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. it would be a 30 six Springfield. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's cheap. It's easy to shoot. It doesn't beat you up. Yeah. You can shoot anywhere from 150 grain factory loads up to a 220 grain round nose at the bear baits. Absolutely. It will work for anything. If you're trying to gear more towards that medium weight to smaller, lighter weight deer size game, mm-hmm. I would stick to something like a 270 Winchester. Mm-hmm. Um, again, old, not flashy, yeah, not fancy, and it's not a one mile gun. <laughs> right. But something a little bit lighter bullet range. 130 grains up to about 150 grains is what you're going to find in your factory loads. Mm-hmm. It's a little flatter than the OT6. Um, it's a little bit better suited if you're just shooting like deer and pronghorn antelope and yeah. maybe the occasional elk. And a 270 will well, be dynamite on elk with the right bullet as well. To be fair, at close range, a 270 will take out a moose as well. Oh, absolutely um, it will. Even if, if you are, let's say, doing a float hunt or something yes. like that, or anywhere where you know you're going to be able to close in within that 200-yard zone, yeah. um, 
a, a two seventy will do just fine for a moose hunt. Absolutely. Um, but I, but I agree a hundred percent. The biggest thing to look at when you're when you're searching caliber is don't get caught up in all the big numbers. No. Don't get caught up in the long range and oh man, this one's good to eight hundred yards and oh this this one has this much kinetic energy at the muzzle and this one has get something we have a, an episode uh we did a while ago called common cartridges for alaska um, if you haven't heard that one go give that one a listen it goes over a lot more of the ballistic side of things um and which it kind of covers everything from the highest end to the lowest end uh what's the most common used mm -hmm. but you really don't want to get yourself locked in so focused on the ballistics of it that you you buy the rifle you buy the the scope you get everything set up and then you go to buy some ammo and you realize the only thing available is premium ammunition that's $130 Seven, yeah. a box, well, you know, yeah. for some of these Magnum mm -hmm. cartridges. Um, even just the, the good old 300 wind mag that everybody loves. I mean, you're at post COVID prices, you're pushing over $100 a box these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, so well, even, even the more affordable options and the more. Um, readily available brands of like 300 Win Mag is still up in that seventy plus dollars right. per box. Yeah, but you look at thirty out six Springfield ammo, mm -hmm. one hundred and eighty grain mono metal or controlled yeah. expansion lead core. If you're just buying factory ammo, yep. Um, man, those for a thirty out six or a two seventy. I, you are rarely going to find anything over 60 bucks a box. And at closer ranges, which you're going to be limited to anyways, mm -hmm. given the, the price range of rifle, the price range of scope, getting a, a cartridge that pushes you out to six, seven, 800 yards is pointless Yes, because you're limited at half that, if not closer. Yeah. And so you just need something that gets you lethal performance yes. out to your limit. And, and I have two limits. I have my limit that, um, I will take a first time shot at, mm -hmm. and I have a limit that I'll take a backup shot at if it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And there's a point at which if it runs past that, now I'm moving. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make a backup shot because I don't trust my ballistics at that range. Um, but I have very expensive gear. I have very high end gear mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to push my limits out a little bit farther. Um, but a 30 out six mm -hmm. at 300 or less yards. Absolutely. It'll kill anything lethal, anything in the country. If you are hunting in North America, a 30 out six is perfect. Uh, 270 is perfect. Um, to that note, I know of an old time brown bear guide who I, I, I heard some stories from this spring from an outfitter. Um, his personal brown bear, coastal brown bear hunting rifle was a 270 Winchester. <laughs> and I saw some photos of the bears that this guy killed. Mm -hmm. Monstrous oh, yeah. coastal brown bears. One shot, 270 in the lungs at 100 yards or less. Yep. Dead. Well, and I've known, I know two different guys that have both had the DLP Grizzlies with yeah. 270s. No problem. It works. You know, you don't need all that, that super high magnum performance it's it's just a close friend of mine shot his first moose with a 270 winchester and 150 grain nosler partition mm -hmm. at 275 yards yeah sharp quartering away entered behind the ribs exited out the far shoulder mm -hmm. drop dead yep the following week someone else i know was using that same rifle same bullet setup ran into a bull moose at about 40 yards yeah. <laughs> facing him Shot him square on in the chest, bullet went in, 
above the sternum, halfway up the chest, through the lungs, took out the vitals, exited out the guts, moose looked over upside down. No kidding. Never even twitched. <laughs> yeah. 270 is not minimal gun. That's that, a good that, old that time is, Alaskan cartridge right there. That is plenty of gun. Yeah. Plenty. Yeah. And a 270 kicks even less than a not six does. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's oh, a, yeah. It's a breeze to shoot, and it's a very good cartridge. Mm -hmm. You can reload a, 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 um, a newer design bullet, you know, something like a Hammer Hunter in the 130 to 140 grain range and stretch out there after you get more money to buy a nicer scope to stretch out a little bit farther. Uh, maybe put a new trigger in your gun, maybe, um, you know, do a few upgrades or mm. upgrade rifles altogether if you really want to. But if you like that 270 enough, you might not, you might not even want to switch. Right. It's a fantastic yeah. cartridge. So anyway. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't like hunting past those, you know, 300-yard markers anyways. Yeah. Um, that's a very good kind of universal marker that people have kind of drawn, yeah. I should say, um, where that's like what a lot of people are comfortable shooting at yep. and 300 yards for people that don't maybe haven't shot very far. That's a poke. I mean, yeah. it's not like a super poke, but it's, it's a bit of a poke. It's not a guarantee, right? <laughs> um, you do still have to be careful. You still have to use proper form. You still have to, to be on your game. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so don't get, yeah, I'll just say it one more time. Don't get caught up in all the big right. numbers and all the marketing. The marketing will kill your budget Yes, because any, <laughs> <laughs> any cartridge that you see as you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and you're seeing ads and all these videos of guys reviewing it and all this, that just tells you the price of ammo is going to go up. Yep. If you go with the old, boring, tried and true cartridges that everybody's going to look at you and be like, well, why'd you get the 120-year-old cartridge? Well, because it it's works. worked for 120 <laughs> right. years. Because it's still around after 120 years. Buy the boring cartridge <laughs> that's available that will work. That's, yep. that's what you want for a beginner cartridge. Hey, guys. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction. How I like rapid-expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is simply to be ethical. Ethical hunting is everything. Yep. If, you're, if you're not ethical in your shooting, and the equipment you use is not based around being ethical. Yeah. That's the one time I'll say don't go. So speaking of ethics, so. hunting camp, when you take your boots off, it can really stink sometimes. 
How's that for oh, transition? Boy. That's got to be the worst transition uh, I already ever. Had one. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, let's hear yours, James. Anyways, well, no, I'll, I'll, you keep yours in there. Okay, That's good. Right. Yeah, good, good, good transition. Mo. So, Mariah, what do you do uh, for foot care in the backcountry? <laughs> so we just looked down the boots on. So we just looked down the list here for everybody listening, and uh, apparently a clothing item did sneak into the list a little bit lower down. So for boots. It's like a parka for your feet. It's like a parka <laughs> for your feet. It's getting late. Um, but no, so boots are very important for yes. your, your clothing setup. One um, of the most important pieces. One of the most. It, it yeah. protects you from blisters if you have them fitted correctly. It keeps your feet warm. It keeps yeah. them dry. Keeps you moving. Mm-hmm. Without your feet, you ain't going anywhere. Nope. So um, making sure you have a good, long-lasting, comfortable, well-fitting pair of boots is paramount i would say i agree um so dalton what would your recommendation be as a beginner pair of entry-level boots well that's a difficult question because i never bought a cheap pair of boots to Mm -hmm. start with i uh, well for the first many years that i was hunting uh, i i I didn't do any sheep hunting in the first few years that i that i was uh, hunting up here and I just didn't have that much need for a really high-end pair of lace-up boots. Um, and when I did, I just went out and bought a nicer pair. But, but, but by that time, I had a little bit more money to put towards nice boots by that point. Mm-hmm. But when I started out hunting, I started out hunting in um, insulated muck boots. Yeah. You know, just, uh, <laughs> I, I believe they're the Arctic Sports. Yep. And uh, they're... They're way too hot in the spring and summer, <laughs> and they're just warm enough to keep you from getting frostbite in September. Yeah. So I think I think those ones are four hundred grand. I, I that think right? that sounds yeah. right. Now, I haven't worn muck boots in a while. Now, mm-hmm. when I want to wear knee boots, I wear those uh, those Lacrosse Alpha Burley yeah. Pro twos. I believe they are with eight hundred milligrams of insulation, mm-hmm. um, full rubber top boot. Uh, the the muck boots have a neoprene upper which is not as durable. Uh, it doesn't yeah. tend to last as long. Um, every pair of muck boots I've had, that's where they fail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they always fail They there. catch on a stick or the, anything like you know, that. I actually have they, the rubber on mine split. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they, they are a better option, I think, for walking than an extra tough boot is mm-hmm. because they have more of an actual boot sole to them. I will agree with that. They've got a more boot feel. They have a little bit more ankle support. So mm-hmm. if you don't need lace-ups and you're just hunting from a wheeler or just moose hunting or on some local or areas or boating or whatnot, um, and you can get by with knee highs um, and you want a little bit more support than an extra tough, but you don't want to spend quite as much money as something like the uh, um, like the lacrosse alpha burly mm-hmm. rubber boots that are insulated, mm-hmm. um, the good in between option I would say for a starter is the uh, um, the Arctic Sport muck boot. Yeah, those are very very popular up here. A lot of folks wear those. I still do sometimes. Um, yeah, I, and, yeah, and you know to be honest, I still have a, a pair of those that I bought new a few years ago. I haven't worn them very much, but mm-hmm. I wear them outside shoveling snow and going yep. to work sometimes. I'll, I'll wear those because I don't care if they get beat up or not. I like wearing mine into like the bear bait. Oh yeah. Because if it's yeah. somewhere that I know I'm not going to be walking super far. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about my feet sweating too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can get you till three o'clock in the morning. Exactly. In a bear stand. But I know that the temperature is going to drop exactly. and I'm not going to be building body heat. Exactly. It is nice to have that, that little bit of an insulated layer there. Yeah. Um, and the ankle support's not terrible. It's not it's, bad. I haven't rolled for my a knee high. Anything for a knee high. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. But I will say 
in my experience, the lacrosses do tend to last longer. They definitely they just, do. I don't know what they do differently, but the, the well, rubber holds together a little bit. Actually, yeah. the only thing I've ever had fail on me with a lacrosse pair of boots is that little uh, tension strap <laughs> yeah. on the back of the calf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the only thing that's ever failed. I've yeah. never had one leak. I've never had one do anything no. like that. Not yeah. to say they don't do that, but it's just in my anecdotal experience. Just don't let them dry out and sit in the sun and, yeah. and they'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but for lace-up boots, man, it, it's... it's uh, it's pretty easy to get into a decent pair of lace-up boots. Um, something, I, I've got a few written down here. Danner makes some good entry-level boots. Mm-hmm. They're not real stiff. They're, they're very pliable, soft boots. Um, something that looks like an old military-style boot, you know, that, that brown, tan-looking boot. Um, I've worn those before. They work fine. Um, for the most part, uh, they are Gore-Tex waterproof, I believe. Um, they're, they're, like I said, they're a very soft, very pliable shoe. Um, Cabela's has some Cabela's brand boots, uh, some leather boots that will do the job as well for not a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some synthetic options, some full leather options, whichever one you want to go with there, depending on what time of year you're going to be out and for what you're going to be doing in them. Um, Columbia actually has some of them as well. Um, most of these that we're talking about here can be found at like your local sportsman's, something like right. that, your right. local outdoor store. They're going to have both options they're going to mm-hmm. have entry-level footwear and they're going to have more higher upper echelon footwear yeah i will say if you are looking to get into a um a higher quality um brand and design of boot but you don't want to go all the way up to the top of the price range mm-hmm. because if if you walk into your local uh, sportsman's or, or something like that and you find your upper echelon category of boots, okay? You're going to have Kenetrek and Crispy and Scarpa and uh, maybe even something like a La Sportiva mm-hmm. or a Zamberlin. All those companies have boots well north of the $400 range. Right. A lot of them, the higher-end boots are pushing 500 bucks a pair. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money. It is. Crispy is the only company, to my knowledge, that makes a boot worth anything under 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. They actually have the Laponia 2, mm. which is a two-flex boot, I believe. I know somebody who likes the Laponias. Yeah, Ryan, our, our friend Ryan Lampers is a Laponia freak. <laughs> he, loves, <laughs> he loves soft, pliable boots. Uh, that they're, they're great for him. He really likes that. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't need something super stiff and aggressive for the mountain hunts, um, and even if you are going to hunt the mountains, I would recommend trying out a pair of Laponia 2s. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the original Laponias, that they made a few upgrades from the original Laponia boot. Um, the Laponia 2 has a little bit different outsole on it, I believe. It has a little bit more protective rubber rand all the way around it. I think it was a little bit thicker sole material too, isn't I, it? I think, I think so. And, yeah. and, and I believe they made it one, um, one lace loop taller, it looks like, it is, is what I'm mm, seeing here. More ankle support? Or, yeah, a little yeah. bit more ankle support. I, I don't think it has the ABBS ankle support I'm system built it, into it. I don't it think it does either. On their website, and it's not listed. Yeah. Um, but that Laponia boot is only 300 bucks mm-hmm. if you look at Sportsman's Warehouse. Yeah. And again, you know, if you have points at Sportsman's Warehouse that you've accrued over time and you can get some money off there, um, you can wait till, uh, till, uh, like a black Friday sale type mm-hmm. of deal and see if they go on sale. Then, um, sometimes those, uh, those more name brand boots don't go on sale as much. Right. But, uh, from all the things that we've talked about today, the one thing that I will mention, if you're going to pick one item that you're going to spend 
a little bit more money on outside of your rifle, mm-hmm. I would recommend footwear. Yeah. If you can afford to save up for a few weeks and put $300 into a pair of boots, 300 bucks will get you a very nice now, set of footwear. For reference point there. Yeah. Even a pair of those Arctic Sport mucks. Yeah. A, a run-of-the-mill pair of muck boots these days is still going to run you north of $200. Really? Yeah. They're like pushing 250 now. Whoa. Really? I was just looking at them the other day. I can't believe that. Yeah. That's that's insane. It's better than lacrosse. I remember paying about 150 bucks for those. Yeah, same here. Or or less. Yeah. Back in the day. Several years ago, yeah. But no, they're they're north of 200 now, at least in our area. It makes me feel old saying back in the day things are cheaper. (laughs) You can get yourself (laughs) a pair of lacrosse alpha burly pros in 1600 for cheaper than that. Wow. Before the great plague. Yeah. Before the great uh, made up. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway. okay, so back but, to boots. But I, I think I, that, I only bring that up because yeah, three hundred to four hundred dollars is not that much extra from what you're going to pay for a pair right. of knee highs or or a pair of I thigh would, or not thigh boots, uh, knee boots, knee boots. Yeah, yeah. I I would say that three hundred bucks is probably about the top end of what I would want to spend at the time. I, I I remember as a beginner when I bought my first pair of nice hunting boots, mm-hmm. I I went and bought a pair of Scarpas. And I think they cost me 330 bucks. Mm-hmm. They were the Scarpa uh, Charmois, or which is, we would probably say it Charmos, is what I called them for, <laughs> for a long time. But, but I heard them called Charmois. Charmois. I, I felt like such an idiot. But, um, <laughs> that, 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 I, I guess that'd be about the equivalent of calling a chamois a, a, a chamois. Right. But, um, right. Or a chamois. Chemois. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I think that crispy Laponia, uh, again, it's not a super stiff boot, mm-hmm. um, but I, 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 well, we talked about this with Brian some on, on the podcast with him. Um, you don't need a five flex boot no. to go hunting in the mountains. Unless yeah. you've got major foot problems. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, unless it's a special case scenario. But for most people, you uh, people get tricked into the marketing aspect. Again, mm-hmm. all these companies that make ultra stiff mountaineering style boots, the vast majority of hunters, even sheep hunting in Alaska, um, a lot of sheep hunting areas, you don't need something that technical to go sheep hunting. Right. A nice lightweight pair of boots like the Laponias with a two flex rating. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend a lot of time walking in country going from peak to peak, whether it's on ridge tops or valley floor bottoms where you're not going up steep terrain, where it might absolutely kill you mm-hmm. to have ultra stiff boots. Ask me how I know. I absolutely came to hate those ultra stiff, no flex Scarpa boots that I bought as my first pair of nice mountain boots. I don't wear them anymore. They were too stiff. I didn't like it because I found myself really having um, a a lot of um, foot pain after walking miles and miles and miles of creek bottom just to get into my hunting area before I even started my ascent. Mm -hmm. So I've gone to more of the three flex rating and um, but like right now, I, I've I've been wearing a lot those um, the, the crispy guide boots, which is a full grain leather, um, ten inch tall boot, I believe it is. Okay. Um, c- kind of more of your traditional leather style boot, um, but it's only a three flex. Mm-hmm. I would have zero problems sheep hunting in that pair of boots. Yeah. None. And I've done it. It ain't no big deal. So yeah, I I, I would say if if you have the capital to put towards 
um, a three hundred dollar pair of boots, and like we mentioned, even a nice pair of muck boots apparently now is over two hundred bucks. Yeah. At that point, if you're around two hundred bucks for a pair of Cabela's boots or Columbia's or something of that nature, mm-hmm. or Danner's for that matter, I would recommend go to your store. Um, again, Sportsman is a big carrier of Crispy, so it, it's going to be pretty easy to find something from them at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, but go in the store, see if you can find a pair of them to try on. Walk around the store with them for a bit, and um, just see how your feet feel on them. Yeah. Other thing I would say, no matter what boots you get, find out what your arch is and buy a set of super feet insoles for your boots. Mm-hmm. It'll make a cheap pair of boots do a whole lot more for your foot than you think they will. Yeah. It changes how the boot feels on your foot. It feels like a completely different shoe after you put a good aftermarket insole in there. Mm-hmm. So buy a super feet insole, figure out if you have high arches, mid arches, or flat arches. Um, and, uh, match that up with your, uh, with your foot, um, makeup yep. and, uh, put that in whatever pair of boots you do end up going with. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my two cents on footwear. What about you, Mo? You got anything to say about boots? Well, going on the, uh, low cost side of things, the budget side of things, I used to run the, um, Columbia's I used to get, oh, season or two out of a pair, usually in the 200 to 400 gram insulation for fall. Mm-hmm. Um, that and then wearing a, a you know a good thick wool sock depending on on the weather was usually plenty to keep me warm and they did a decent job at being at watershedding you're not going to find a low cost pair of boots under hundred dollars like that or around a hundred dollars that's going to do a real good job for very long of being waterproof right but I did find those to be you know f- for the budget if that's what you're trying to stick to right those worked well for me I have some of the uh, Cabela's ones I've had both of them both pair both. Columbia's and Cabela's at times either last couple seasons or just wear out the first week I wore them. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's because they were a little older or sat around a little bit or something like that, but could be, but the big thing, I mean, if you're on, on, on a tight budget, right. The biggest thing you want to make sure, and maybe the biggest thing you care about, if you're going that low on the scale is just that it will at least get you through the season. Yeah. It will at least get you out into the back country and then back home. Walk around your driveway with them mm-hmm. or something, right? Walk around the store with them. I probably, I rarely bought a brand new pair of boots. Mm-hmm. I would buy them off of Facebook or at a garage <laughs> sale. They looked, oh, look, they're almost new. How much you want for them? 50 bucks, sure. Yeah. And hey, it worked. I, I also hey. at one point would wear the, um, you know, the old military boots, which. The Danners, I believe. No, I'm, I'm talking like, green no oh, brand. Like the actual army boots yeah, yeah. And don't do that to your feet right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, especially with the steel toe or whatever i had yeah. a pair of those i wore them for like a year and i wore them hunting and everything and they were non-insulated and they had the steel toe and you know they worked but <laughs> that was rough all right guys well we're gonna wrap this episode up it's getting a little bit long-winded here and we're trying to fix that so um we are going to be continuing this in another episode but i will wrap this particular part up by saying these two things um your cheaper boots will benefit a lot not only from like you were talking about dalton with the insoles and adding something like that to it but proper treatment of the boot yes if you end up with a lower you know, price range, leather boot, mm-hmm. getting some good leather treatment oils to, to work that leather and to make sure that it's, it's taken care of will increase the yeah. longevity, even at the lower price ranges like that. Yeah. Um, any kind of a, a waterproofing spray that you can put on, on some of the, 
the non-leather boot styles. Right. Um, that will will help you a lot in the long run to kind of extend the life of those those budget boots, use, I should say. Use beeswax base wax treatment for mm-hmm. your boots. Um, Sportsman sells a little black can of Auburn Offs, I believe is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, beeswax leather treatment. Yeah. That's all I use. Yep. And And the second thing I'll say is... Your camp has a lot to do with the gear you should bring on a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into a lot more of the camping gear in the next episode. Um, but if you have a base camp where you're able to, you, you know, you're not going to travel too far away from it. Yeah. You have maybe a heat source or you have uh, some good shelter that's yeah. not, you know, a little two-man tent mm-hmm. um, getting blown around by the wind. If you have like a lot of these moose hunters, they'll, they'll drag a wall tent out with them. Something like that. If you have a good base camp that you can reliably come back to every day and you're not doing the insane, you know, the insane, uh, long-term backcountry hunting, you can do a lot of like, let's say, just say moose hunts and whatnot in like your work boot. Yep. You know, your standard red wings or, or whatever work boot Mm -hmm. you you tend to run. It's not going to be perfect, but if, if that's what's holding you up mm-hmm. from going, again, make sure you have a good base camp to come back to. Yeah. Don't try to go out in those day in, day out, hiking crazy amounts of distance um, in rough terrain. But if, if you're just going out for a wheeler hunt or anything like that and the weather looks good and you've got somewhere you can go dry your feet off when the waterproofing inevitably, inevitably doesn't hold up quite as good, yep. um, you can do it and you can get out there and you can kill stuff that way. Absolutely. So um, don't, Again, don't let that hold you up and don't really let any of this hold you up. Yep. There are some situations with some hunts where you're gonna, you could get into a dangerous situation if you don't have the right gear. But at least try. You know, at, at least try within the limitations of the gear that you do have. That's, that's the biggest thing I'll drop this portion of the, of the podcast off with. So Cliff, Thank you very much for the uh, suggestion on the episode. Looks like we're going to get two out of that suggestion. So (laughs) um, we're going to wrap up here again. If you guys really want to support the show and, uh, and help us continue what we're doing while you're on your hunt, you need to be protecting your rifle cover with a stealthy hunter rifle cover from Ryan Lampers over at stealthy hunter. Also use their glassing pad. These are of course, sponsored products through stealthy hunter. Also their nutrition products are excellent as well we've talked in great extent about those you can use the discount code the northern hunter at checkout for stealthy hunter and stealthy nutrition next is hammer bullets our newest addition to our discount code sponsorships you can also use the northern hunter at at the uh, the, the promo code in checkout to get a discount on your excellent mono metal bullets uh, after that it's yukon river knives for any of your backcountry knife needs, which we will talk more about that on our next episode about some more essential gear when you're starting up. Everybody needs a good hunting knife or two or three or four or five. (laughs) The discount code for Yukon River Knives is also the Northern Hunter. And then for bear bait products, we got an email from a listener talking about drawing a bear bait tag in Minnesota, I Northern believe it Minnesota, was. Northern Minnesota, yeah. And he said that he's going to be buying some cupcake addiction. I'm so excited for that guy. Batum907 hey, Make sure you email the show and let us know how that goes. Absolutely. And I'm sure Jess would love to see that as well down there at the shop. So when you're shopping for Batum907, attractants and lures, also trapping lures, 
And uh, when, when you shop there, you can use the discount code TNHP, mm. the abbreviation of the show title. And uh, also be sure to check out the excellent rifles that we mentioned in this podcast, um, Weatherby, makers mm-hmm. of America's premier rifle lines, in our opinion. Yep. Since the 1940s, or well, maybe yeah, since 41. the 50s. Well, but, but Roy started out with cartridges, but I don't think oh, rifles true. came until yeah. a little bit later. That's but true. still, yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> right. So <laughs> anyway, we appreciate you guys supporting the show. That's the best way to, uh, to help us keep doing what we're doing through our sponsors. Absolutely. And hopefully you guys found this uh, informational and educational. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we love hearing things like this uh, where you kind of tell us what you're, yeah. what you're curious about, what your questions are, because that's, that's the whole point of this. This is an educational platform. We try to keep it fun, but the point is to bring you guys good information. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions, we love getting those. If you have any questions or you want some clarification on what we talked about today, make sure you're going to our website, thenorthernhunter.com. Uh, hit the contact button there. That'll bring you to the email. Um, you can email us directly, info at thenorthernhunter.com. Or hit us up on our socials. Uh, if you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram currently, uh, you'll find us there. Yes. And uh, make sure you're sharing it with your friends. Uh, right now, uh, we are working on expanding and trying to bring you guys even better content. Mm-hmm. And the more people we can reach, the more we're able to do that, the more we're able to, to uh, show, show our value through you guys. So mm-hmm. uh, one more thing to add here before mm-hmm. we wrap up. If you have any specific questions about hunting in Alaska this upcoming fall, if you're coming up on a DIY hunt or on a guided hunt, I know I mentioned this in the last episode, be sure to get those questions in here in the month mm-hmm. of July or early August before fall season kicks off. And we are all missing in action right. for, you know, <laughs> off and on throughout the entire fall. It's about to get hectically busy again. Yep. So we want to make sure that we get all of our fall hunting prep information podcasts out this summer ahead of time for the fall season. So be sure to write us in your, in any of your thoughts or inputs or questions that you might have for your upcoming Alaska hunts. We also want to get that information out early enough that you guys have time to actually follow through with it. Correct. Just, that's kind of why we're doing this one right now is right. so that you have time to budget for these items and get set up to have, to be successful. So this time we covered clothing and rifles. Next time we'll cover camp. Yes, sir. And uh, we'll see you there. Get out there, get after it and good luck. See you next week. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.